Muad'Dib tells us in A Time of Reflection that his first collisions with Arakeen necessities were the true beginnings of his education. He learned then how to pull the sand for its weather, learned the language of the wind's needles stinging his skin, learned how the nose can buzz with sand itch, and how to gather his body's precious moisture around him to guard it and preserve it. As his eyes assumed the blue of the Abad, he learned the Chikopsa way. Stilgar's preface to Modib, the man, by Princess Irulan. To Spice World, an inebriated exploration of Frank Herbert's Dune. My name is Derek. And my name is Mike. Each week we open up a new bottle of wine and have a bit of a buzzed book club here, Derek. Oh, and Mike, it's been going so good. Things are getting a little colder outside, but it's only getting hotter in the store. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's, that's true. true. But, you know, we're on, we're on our white wine fix, Mike. We're almost done with the white wine fix, too. I know. It's, so, yeah, that's been like a theme for us. I'm, I'm sure everyone noticed, but we did red wines in the first book, mm-hmm. white wines for the second book. Got something coming up for the third book, too. Book. I mean, it's rosé, is it not? It's going to be rosé. <laughs> We're going to split the difference. Yeah. And I'm, it's going to be a good, it's gonna good, be a good one. one. I'm gonna really, I don't think there's going to be one I don't like. <laughs> so, today, though, we, uh, we got a good one. This is like our last little bit of the Imperium, Mike, for why I got this one. Remember uh, the award that Leto uh, earned from the Emperor? For be- and it got the title like the Red Duke? Or was it yeah. uh, Chevalier? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Chevalier of the Imperium, I believe. Yeah, and then, I think yeah, so. Uh, then for some reason, it gets him the moniker of the Red Duke. Mm. Uh, and then Which it, just sounds dope. It's pretty good. That's yeah. one you brag about. Uh, and that's why he makes every kid at the Lands Red call him that. <laughs> <laughs> so today, we got a Cavalier de Oro. It's, Ooh, uh, that gold, sounds sexy. The gold knight. It's got a really sexy bottle. Like, look at this guy. He's got, uh, it's a knight on a horse. The horse has like... Like a Templar kind of with that kind of fabric oh, yeah, all yeah. over it. And then, I don't know why, but this guy has like a full set of hawk wings on his head. <laughs> like they're giant. Uh, and then he's just carrying a flag. And you know what, Mike? I think that's green on that banner there. I think it... <gasps> little, little, no. little green and black banner. <laughs> well, that's, that's gold. That might be the... Uh, that's for stylization. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just saying, I think we're kicking off the jihad. Oh, God, no. a religious warrior. Um, but, yeah, let's take a... You take a little taste? Of the wine? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Of course, of the wine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What'd you think? It's delicious. It's super smooth. It is very smooth. It's is very... this the first Pinot Grigio we've had? I'm not the one to ask about that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't... I think so. I think it might be. The... Trying to think back. Yeah, the one that the only one that would throw me for a loop is whatever the Pogia was, because <laughs> it was, like, also kind of bubbly. Oh. I don't know if that might have been a Pinot Grigio, but... No, this... no, I don't think that was the one. We're, we'll, the, the sparkling Moscato took okay. me for a loop. That's okay. I, I think it might be. And uh, so this is telling me we're looking for notes of fresh citrus, green apple, and orange blossom. You got any? And it's an Italian wine. Okay. I um, figured that should just be included. Yeah, just, just <laughs> got to put it out there. It's got like the night, uh, the perfect blend of like sweets and dry. Mm-hmm. And like I could drink this like water. But keep it, that bottle away go, from me, Derek. <laughs> it'll stay on my side. No, yeah, it does. It goes down quick and it disappears, but and it's it's so crisp and clean. Mm. Really do enjoy that. 
Oh. Loving it. So, set that wine aside. And <laughs> let's get right into this, Mike, because we had quite the little quotation to start us off. Oh it was God. different than the setup of any of the other ones, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, we get it. It's a book talking about a book, uh, commenting <laughs> to another person writing a book, right? I have a theory that Princess Irlan just wants to, like, get credits into every book out there, somehow associated with her name. Again, it's like, because uh, she's paid by the number. Exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, she's got a quote to me. <laughs> this is like watching a YouTube review on a review. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you ever seen on that? Like, like, on, like, a compilation yeah, yeah, video. A compilation <laughs> video. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Based on the movie, based on the book, based on the real-life event. Watching a reaction shot. Watching <laughs> <laughs> well, full circle. Yeah, yeah, this is, I, I guess we could say this is Irulan's reaction shot to Stilgar <laughs> reviewing Paul, right? Is that uh, more or less what I've unpacked? <laughs> there we go. But I just think it's interesting that... Uh, it set this up. This is one coming from Stilgar's perspective. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of interesting. We've just gotten very close to him in the last couple chapters and watched how he's um, managed his tribe, right? This troop of Fremen warriors going through mm-hmm. and bringing in these outworlders. He's done a very delicate dance to kind of keep power and uh, keep everything in balance. And now we're kind of learning how he was looking at them in a way or kind of adjusting to Paul, I guess, right? Because this is like seeing Paul come up, and I think should undermine that Paul is going to do very well with the Fremen. Oh, yeah, he's yeah, he's going to develop. I mean, it says that uh, Erekine Necessities is what really first allowed him to be educated. Mm-hmm. Like, that was, like, the beginning of, like, learning everything. Yeah, more or less. I like the collision with Erekine Necessities. That's good. And again, that's, like, I think that's that trip through that desert. That was that collision, right? I'm oh, just, yeah. like... Boom, just like this, you aren't you don't have the safety of your house anymore, your house shield. Like, welcome to Arrakis. Run. Stolar can write. Yeah. Oh, you think he's got a little, little cadence to it? Yeah. Well, we had the other book by him um in one of the deep dives was like Stilgar's memoir I had pulled from. Right. So he's he yeah, he's a little bit of a writer, you know? He's a very nuanced man. Mm. And uh on that point, Mike, you know what our deep dive today is gonna be? Stilgar? It's going to be Stilgar. Yeah! Yeah, so I got 50 years of Stilgar to talk about. Oh, my God. We'll dive into it. I love it. Um, anything else you want to pull out of this This kind of quote here? We do end with that uh, Paul's eyes. We're, they're, they're turning they, blue. They're going to go blue. He's going to learn the Jacobs away. I like, that actually I like, too, is that they call it the Jacobs away. Mm. I don't think we ever use that in another phrase so. or time. In, um, so I like that it's there. It gives a little acknowledgement to it. And... Uh, Maybe that the Fremen are aware of like their heritage in a way. I guess they would be through their reverend mothers. Well, uh, but... I mean, it's called Jacobsa as well, like the language. So, right. Well, but just Jessica is the only one who ever tells us that, and she always is like, "It's this ancient hunting language." No, and I, no, no, no. I think uh, who else brought it up? Silver not say that during the funeral. Oh, maybe maybe he did. I think someone did. Okay, I, I, just I feel like I heard a Fremen say Jacobsa <laughs> once. I just think I always had this kind of inflection in my mind that it was mm. sort of this ancient lost language that for some reason, like, Jessica knows through, like, arcane study, essentially. Right, right, right. Uh, and that the Fremen are just left with. But there's just a, a lot of awareness uh, packed into them. Uh, and then this is a preface to a book that Stilgar will write, Moadib the Man. Mm. Paul's got some growing to do. That's He's true. still more deep the boy in, in some ways <laughs> right now. But I think uh, without further ado, Mike, 
We are at Siet Tabar. Oh, we finally made it. We oh, it only it. took, what, 36 chapters? Like two chapters staring out across the basin, being like so <laughs> close to home. Well, it took us six chapters to get the dune, so I guess I shouldn't feel too surprised. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 30 more to get to the sea edge. <laughs> oh, my God. That's true. <laughs> took us 30 chapters to get to the edge. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> No wonder they skipped the dinner scene in the movie. <laughs> we don't got time for dinner. Oh, my God. So this opens up, and uh, naturally it's going to kind of start with Stilgar. And mm. he's looking out at the sun, and he sees it kind of dawning over them. I like that. Because, you know, in how we should look at this is like, this is nightfall for us. Um. Oh, for, yeah. For the yeah, Fremen yeah. perspective. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is him saying, like, it's, you know, essentially our work is done. Right, right, The day right. rises. A lot is here, our enemy. We're going to go in. Mm. And uh, he notices that the sun is uh, where it's positioned. Mm. It's brightest over a certain peak. And that tells him that it's mid-autumn. Oh. So they have, and now I'm not 100% on this. Of uh, it, They call it the month of Caprock, which I think is cool. Yeah. I, think, I don't know the other months off the top of my head that is buried in the encyclopedia, I love though. that. For, for the Fremen months? Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, and uh, But what I wanted to touch on was that they use the sun to do this map, or this calendar, right, along mm-hmm. these rocks. I know of a method that uh, ancient humans use on Earth, like our ancient humans, yeah, yeah. where they use lunar calendars. They would carve on the bones. And uh, I can't remember the specifics. This was like out in the western United States, in like the canyons, kind of like uh, Utah, Arizona area, okay. that kind of stretch. And the bone fragments that the archaeologists found, it was sitting on the top of this plateau, and it had this cool shape and like this uh, swirling sort of pattern. The mm-hmm. swirling pattern was the moon going through its cycles. These two like shapes on either side of it, from the plateau where they found it. If you looked out, I think to the west. You would see, or maybe it was to, I think it was to the east, to the east, these two shapes coming up out of the ground. And it was like the um, terrain. And you would look from this one spot and you would etch out where the moon is relative to those two like pillar structures. And that's how they kept their lunar calendar. And then that calendar, it's like you can only use it there. But like you would just cake it and every night you would make a little another dot onto it until you made a full calendar. That's really cool. Yeah. And they're like, they talk about how long it would take them to do it. Cause you need every night needs perfect weather, which right. you're not going to get. Right, right. So you have to go through all these cycles before you finally wow. put it together. But amazing that they put that much work and they just see these patterns in the skies where like, if you don't watch it every night, like I think, I don't know about you, but I have a terrible sense of where the moon is and mm-hmm. like the phases of the moon. It's just not something I need to be aware of. Okay. So, like, I wish I knew, like, how it moves through the sky in its full cycle a little ah. bit more. Like, as it goes left to right, it oscillates. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Um, so, I'd encourage you guys to check those out. Uh, if you There's a link through nasa.gov. Uh, if you search for the oldest lunar calendars, uh, I would encourage anyone to look in there if you're a little more interested in that. But that's my little historical uh, side road to take us down. I hope you appreciate it. I always love the space. Yes. So... We um, have some children are out, uh, I think, uh, still got kind of sees them. They are collecting the dead leaves that have fallen off of the kind of plants that we have. I think that's interesting. That we're like, they probably have to do that every day. And you just get all the, all the water from that's going to mm-hmm. be collected, even though they're just like little dried up leaves. We can get something. <laughs> we can get half a drachm, I'm sure. 
<laughs> and um, as these people are moving through, the only sound that can be heard, because we're filing into Chabor, is uh, Paul and Jessica. You can't hear the kids. You can't hear the troop. Just every now and then, the misstep of Paul and Jessica, oh. right? Because they're they're the the outworlders. They're not. They don't know how to walk without rhythm. You know? Right, right, right. Don't attract the worm. And uh, Paul, he wipes some sweat from his forehead, and it's sort of like caked with dust too. At this point, Prompt, <laughs> prompting Chandy to tell him, like, put down your hood. <laughs> like, like what are you doing? You're wasting water. Learn, buddy. Learn. Uh, and at this, they're all silenced by a whispered command, which is probably like still got the front. Just like, you know, now you've made too much noise. Like, everybody's <laughs> fucking up. And then there's a bird chirp. Everyone halts. Silence. Paul can like sense the tension, right? There's another chirp in the air. A little mouse goes hopping by. Third chirp. And then they proceed. You know what that was? Was it like a call, like all clear kind of thing? It has to be. Yeah. Yeah. I think so you the, know those uh, bird calls, right? You know what? It, that really stood out to me because you brought it up at the end of the Jameis thing. Yeah. We've just been hitting bird calls right on. Uh, I think every other time I've read this, I've just sort of like walked past this. I'm just like them being extra cautious on their final approach. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, Oh, everyone stop. And then they just go, but yeah. I think, no, it's definitely them communicating away. Right, right, right. The part, I don't know what happens here. Mm. Is that after this moment where they get these chirrup sounds? Right. Something happened to Cheney because the Fremen give her covert glances and she becomes withdrawn, Paul notices. And this is certainly her learning that her father died because that's going to be the only emotional twist we kind of throw at her. But I don't get how she learned that in that moment or how they came to understand that. You see what I was following? Right. There? right. It just stands out to me of like, I. I feel like there's one more thing that's supposed to be in there. Uh, and I, I, I don't know how you make that connection. So I guess we were assuming that the chirps were, or like the bird chirps were uh, saying like all clear, but maybe it was like actually a signal that like, you know, Liette is dead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it must be. And I'm like, but what, but like you wouldn't have that ready to, like we don't just have a static bird <laughs> we chirp. We have a like, bird dictionary there. <laughs> You're prepared for everything. <laughs> They're very nuanced. It takes a long time to be a bird caller. Yeah, but uh, so nonetheless, though, I thought it was interesting that something happens there. Paul picks up on it, and uh, we're going to find out that part. Mm-hmm. But right now, he's sort of, he's not in the know. He doesn't know what's happening. And he's a little overwhelmed at all the changes happening right now, too, because he's never been to Siege Tabar. He's sort of learning things as we go. And he has a lot of uh, responsibilities he picked up last night mm-hmm. uh, when he grabbed that ballast set. Actually, yeah. you know what? I don't think it's just the bird. I think it's also yeah. the mouse. Ooh, okay. See, I th- I thought you think the, m- the mouse is the response? Yeah, because well, it says there came a faint thumping from the rocks, a sound no louder than mice jumping in the sand. It didn't say that it was a mouse. Okay, okay. I like that. So... I, I do think that, that there is a coded message in there, and that it's right after that that everyone is sort of solemn. Yeah, so they, they change. That's got to be, change, that's like, gotta be like a secret message. Uh, <laughs> it still doesn't answer my question. So we have also a lot of thumping noise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a full on. It's just worse with animals. Could be. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, we, we don't know how complex it is or this or that. Uh, but... Nonetheless, we uh we get a little safety because there's solid rock underfoot now. I think that's like the uh, hope. That's got to be. That ah. must feel like a welcome mat to you when you hit that. Um, and they start to move down corridors, and we go down some steps. Uh, we go through two moisture sealed doors, and then we're in this yellow rock walled cavern 
this is sketch to bar mike we are inside we finally got home. there double door seals that's yeah. intense like we had to go through i think three to get down to the cave of riches water mm-hmm. this is just to get inside like this is a big sealed up place this is awesome uh, I do feel bad that I've hyped this all up, and then the first thing we're going to learn is that we're leaving because uh, we're packing everything up. But, yeah. you There's a bunch leave. of moving boxes. Yeah. <laughs> so the perimeter home, and they all start throwing back their hoods. They're scurrying about. Paul starts to look for Cheney, but she's gone. Again, something happened back there. And he's surrounded by people at this point. They're all like, they're stoked. Because again, they were all, they were horny and rambunctious before. Now mm. they're home. And one of them even like kind of bumps Paul and like tells him like, hey, take off your hood. Stay a while. <laughs> not, not one of them. I think one specifically. One Farouk. Uh, no, no. So for the, then Farouk moves up to help him. But yeah. Uh. So we don't, it, it doesn't say again, it leaves a little, could be both, could be the same person or could be two different. But yeah, Farouk comes up and he tell, uh, helps Paul take his hood off. And like, I love he throws some elbows just to make <laughs> some space around Paul. And he's like, he's aiming for, uh, he wants the first lieutenant kind of job. Yeah. I'm like, I am the more, the, uh, the Mahdi's <laughs> assistant. A little bit of an upgrade for sweeping the same. Yeah. <laughs> we we got a chance here, opportunity. I think, <laughs> you think I Lemuel's giving him glares? I'm like, ah, oh, I gotta sweep by myself. We both agree. Neither of us are gonna go for it. <laughs> we could both do it. We both sweep. <laughs> I'm like, man, what a guy this Farouk. <laughs> I love him. So Paul, uh, he gets uh gets his mask off too, and this is where like the smell hits him. Oh <laughs> yeah. The stank of home. The stank of home. Oh my God. And I, like Farouk is near him and he just takes a deep breath and he's like, ah, <laughs> he like savors the smell oh, of the salt. <laughs> it's good. It's been so long. And I like, we get Paul's mind where he's like, this man's not joking. <laughs> like, he really means this. I should not make fun of him for this. And uh, Jessica actually cuts through and she says, how rich the odors of your C.H. Stilgar. I see you do much working with the spice. You make paper, plastics, and isn't that chemical explosives? Love that touch. Uh. And so that has like a dual purpose where one Paul, he picks up. This is a cue for me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, don't mention the stink. <laughs> I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. check. Uh, but then the Fremen... Not just that, just to be like, that's what's here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you think to undermine the danger, too? Of, yeah. like, the explosives? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I thought that was kind of her showing off a little bit. Well, maybe but a little I, bit. I think a little bit. I pick it up what you're saying, though, of, like, that she intentionally ends on the yeah. explosives. Uh, but a, a Fremen is just like, you can tell that by smell. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I think a kind of a Thufi or astonishment moment. Yeah, of yeah. Like, <laughs> they can do that? Um... Then kind of word makes it through. Like, while this revelation is going of uh, Bene Gesserit smelling powers, they know the depth of water, apparently. Mm. <laughs> this, um, there's sort of a noticeable change on the audience, and it makes its way, uh, and it's that we're finding out that Liette has died. Liette is dead. Yeah. Uh, Paul puts it all together now, and he asks if they mean kind. Of, like, just for clarification, yeah. I guess. And now he's angered that another person who helped him has fallen to the Harkonnens. Yeah. It's one who gave him sanctuary, got them here, rescued them in the desert. Like, sort of his fault, or at least on him, he feels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, hey, again, hmm. uh, confirmation. Liet was the Fremen name of the planetologist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah, and they do hyphenate. They keep hyphenated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Baruch comes in of like, does Usal hunger yet for revenge? 
And for me, like, this is one of those jihad moments. And, like, Paul doesn't dwell on it or go, but he also, he clearly doesn't respond to it. And I feel like that was one of those things, like, that's the engine getting revved up, right? Mm -hmm. They want uh, Paul to get involved in this. They want him to have a horse in this race. So before Paul, like I said, doesn't get a chance to reply because Stilgar interrupts. Yeah. And I think it's important and helpful. I could only imagine what starts to go through Paul's mind. Uh, But the the crowd moves into a wider chamber. Paul is sort of like pushed with them, right? And kind of gets uh, jammed into this. And Stilgar is standing with a woman at his side. And she actually uh, addresses Paul first. And just says, this bested my Jameis. Yep. So this is, (laughs) it's going to be Hera. We we talked about that uh, a while back. Yeah, yeah. Going over her, and she starts, she's wearing orange and green. She has, like, dark hair and sharp features. Mm. Uh, to like that. Very, like, uh, almost bird-like in the features there. Kind of the impression I got. Uh, always birds. Always. <laughs> always well, just, birds. Like, just the good people. <laughs> so, Stogar, like, tries to quiet her. Like, again, I don't think she was supposed to speak up there. <laughs> just, Probably. like, cut in. Uh, Excuse the, me. Pardon yeah. me. <laughs> uh, still the naive. Uh, oh. They have kind of a back and forth, and she just can't see how this boy beat Jameis. And, like, it must have been an accident. Well, and just, like, that's got to be where her and Jameis really get along. I think that's a common thread between them. <laughs> and I, I see it now. I see how that relationship worked. And she's wearing little, what's it say, water tallies? Yeah. Dangling from her ears? Yeah. It's going to be, so there's, like, water rings. Yeah. Kinda, yeah. Okay. Like the women wear them in like various styles. Okay. Okay. Uh, which I like that. I think I would be only in house, obviously. You like them because they, right, they right, must right. jingle like crazy. Um, but they probably look really cool. I bet they're like different colors and stuff, different sizes. And um, what do we have? Uh, Stilgar points out that, uh, like, cause she's saying, like, how did, you know, James fall to this? And um, she can't see how a boy would have beaten him. Must have been an accident. Stilgar points out, like, look. I wouldn't challenge this, Paul. No one here would challenge me. It's like, follow this logic and this reasoning. Right, this, this is your always little, got the weirding way. Your little sneak peek to us. That's a what? This was your little sneak peek from last time. Yeah, yeah, kind of building up to this kind of, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, the line entirely. Uh, and uh, still tells Jessica, tells her that Jessica is the outfrayan reverend mother. And with this, I think that, like, buys her a hand because she just whispers, like, oh, Lisa Al-Gaib. Yeah, and looks at Paul with awe now, which is just like, um, I think it starts weighing the sacrifice of her, of like Jameis, right? right? And there's a significance that they all are combined with, and it definitely takes Paul. He he has a hard time grasping this, but like how quickly Hara is able to be like, oh, no, it was no accident. Okay, yeah. Like the gods willed this. Shai Mm. Halud wants this to be kind of deal. And it's the legend again, Paul thought. (laughs) I just imagine it said like that damn legend. Yeah, yeah. No, it's straight that's more or less terrible purpose yeah. being like, hey buddy. It's been a while. Like <laughs> sort of like leaning on his shoulder yeah. like a little fairy. What's up? That's why it's fairyland. Yeah. But this is like I think like a fairy's got like a cigarette hanging on like Paul, oh, oh, I got big plans for you. <laughs> Get that banner. Um <laughs> And uh, Stogar, though, he again kind of cuts in and he's like, look, he hasn't been tested, Hara. Kind of tempering this down, which is Stilgar's job. He needs to do that because, one, he doesn't want this to run off, like, and get out of control, like, the religious prophet part. Like, that is a wild card here that I think he wants to, like, 
grow this fire in a very controlled manner uh, without losing control of his people uh, or command in a way. And uh, he tells her that, Usal, it's our way that you've now the responsibility for Jameis's woman here and for uh, for his two sons. His yali, his quarters, are yours. His coffee service is yours. And this is woman. Uh, So yali is a Fremen's personal quarters. Uh, which is why it's followed, obviously, with his quarters. But that's okay. going to be Paul's uh, Paul's new digs, his house. Okay, doke, okay, doke. Uh It's sort of like Paul had the Fremen pre-order bundle. Uh, <laughs> he gets, like, everything in He's it. got everything to go. Yeah, and Jessica's Start just your adventure now. Yeah. <laughs> he just turned into the Imperium. <laughs> and uh, Paul wonders why she's not being Hara, like, mourning uh, Jameis, or she doesn't, like, hate him. Uh, then notices that she's staring and probably most others too are all around. This mm. is a common thing for Paul around Fremen. They are all aware of being like, Paul, you know, you have to, we're doing a yep. ceremony right now. You it's got, like, you got to roll the play. Like, I think, I think some of them are used to this. Like, uh, come on, <laughs> like Paul. Bro's like, Paul, don't look like a new year. <laughs> Paul, line, line. <laughs> and uh, a Fremen tells him, yeah, he look kind of like, Paul, you need to choose her how to accept her. And uh, Imagine he's on the sideline with a big like uh, poster board, like a big Sharpie, just like putting lines in there for him. Constantly writing yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, Servant or woman. <laughs> like some Fremen cue cards. You know what it's on, though? It's on Spice Plastic. It's on Spice Plastic. <laughs> yep. With Spice Sharpie. <laughs> yes. And uh, so Hara protests, and uh, she's still young and beautiful. And then she brings up, and for some reason, I this is not how I would defend myself mm-hmm. here, but like my first husband, and <laughs> the one before Janus, I'm just as beautiful as then, as two men ago. <laughs> and uh, but that's how we know we learn about Jeff. Space, that's true. Space Jeff. Space too. Jeff. G O F F. Joff. G E O F F. Uh, and so, and that's the only mention I think he ever gets. <laughs> that's how we know that's his name. Yep. Uh, Paul, though, he's going to be diplomatic here. So he, mm-hmm. he's put in this position right now. He has to choose. Do I accept her as a wife? Do oh, I kind of right. release her? Or do I take her as a servant, right? Mm. Uh, she wants the prestige of being the wife. And essentially, I think the wife of the Lisan Ogai. Yeah, it's like, you okay, know. sounds yeah. pretty good. Like, yeah, that's, a, that's probably a move up in the world. Yeah. Uh, Paul... Obviously has the Imperium in mind and several things in that matter and Cheney more than anything else. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's so smitten by her. So he tells her he'll accept her as a servant. And he clarifies, though, uh, the customs surrounding such choice, making sure, like, uh, can I change my mind later? Mm-hmm. And like, yes, you can. You can change your mind in one year. After that, if, uh, if you don't decide, she's free. Uh, but you are always going to share responsibility for her sons. Mm-hmm which are, in effect, your sons now. And uh, Hera, though, stamps on the ground again. <laughs> I am young and beautiful. Uh-huh. And, and without, without missing a beat, Paul's just like, I'll accept her as a servant. Yeah. <laughs> Bam, done. Uh, and, uh, Damn. Yeah. So cool. But I mean, like, yeah, no, I'd be like, uh, I'm surprised he didn't just be like, do what you want. I, I don't know. I think I he sees that he's, he, I think I would rock the boat too much. You think so? Kind of. Of like, Maybe that you just feel pressure to take her and like, okay, I'll take the easier of the two options. And down the road, I can still make the decision in any direction. Right. If he would have taken her as a wife or freed her, both of those are definite. Right, right, right. And I think Paul doesn't want to make definite decisions 
as like <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. as like a goddamn mission statement right now. I imagine little fairy on his shoulder is just Danny DeVito, like Paul, yeah, Paul, 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 Paul. He's like, not not Danny. Come on, <laughs> like, we're gonna take, take a wife, Paul. Take a wife. <laughs> take a wife. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, no, no. <laughs> so he goes with Servant. And I think Stilgar sees the logic in this too. And he uh, kind of settles this whole matter and tells her to like, you know what? To show Paul his quarters. Like this is all resolved at this point. And, uh, you know, he, I think he appreciates Paul's delicate position. Because again, Paul, 15. Hara's got to be like 30. That's got to be pretty intimidating for Paul. Paul's coming into this whole new culture. That's true. He's got this other girl he's trying to impress. This is really going to cramp his style. Mm-hmm. He's got Stilgar to worry about, you know, and then he, I don't think he really understands, like, Jessica's plan at all. No. Especially for fitting in the Fremen. Um, she just sort of disappears here, too. Yeah, she'll be back. <laughs> she'll, get, she'll get around to it. Um, so, Paul, he wants to, at this point, ask after Cheney. Uh, mm. and Jessica, like, where either of them are. But he can tell from Stilgar's nervous stance that it would be a bad call. Mm-hmm. That's kind of interesting. Uh, did that stick out for you in any way? you pull anything from that? What, the... Uh... Just, like, what that nervous stance? Like, does it give you a bad feeling? Mm. Do you have any idea, like, what we're building towards with that? I don't know. Maybe just... Uh, Cheney's probably just in a very emotional state right now. Mm-hmm. And or Cheney may even be, you know, maybe it's not time to mourn yet. Maybe she's taking uh, Jessica to the Reverend Mother here. Mm-hmm. So, in either way, in either case, I think Paul probably does not need to be involved in that at the moment. Definitely, De- not, like, it's not I don't, his, yeah, yeah, I don't not think he has job. a place in it. Yeah, no, because like they're both in that religious sect of it. Of right. the Fremen, like it's very mysterious to us so far, especially to you. You like you don't know what's happening at the other side of the Siet bike. What mysterious things are going down? I don't know. In Reverend Mother Ramallo's chambers, uh, if that's where they actually are. So, going with this, uh, Paul, not he's like seeing that he can't talk about that or ask about Cheney or Jessica. He instead uh, <laughs> kind of turns to Hara, and he's registered her at this point because yeah. she's been talking. He's been taking it in, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's like uh, he pitches his voice with tone and tremolo to accent her fear and awe and said, show me my quarters, Hara. We'll discuss your youth another time. <laughs> I'm just like, good God. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. To have a 15-year-old, like, and to know that... Too much later. Too much later. <laughs> yeah, but, and, like, that would have been in probably Leto's voice, too. Like, I imagine the oh, tonal switch is a little rough. And this, like, Hara kind of freaks a little bit. Like, that's weird for her. And she knows what that is. Like, knows that's the voice, right? Yeah. Uh, but then... I like a right following this, Paul then disregards his previous thought of like, I can't ask about Cheney. And he says, Stilgar, Cheney's father, but have the obligation on me. If there's anything. And Stilgar's just like, God, why didn't you pick up on my stance? And oh, like, like, so he's like, oh, we'll talk about this later. Yeah, it'll be decided in council. You can speak then. Uh, and he nodded in dismissal, turned away with the rest of the troop following. Dang. Him. Like, yeah, because that's how Stilgar can just end a conversation. So the Fremen are able to pick up on. The voice, right? Yeah, it seems like they... Cause, are uh, they Jam- immune to it as well? Jameis, no, no, they're not no. immune. But Jameis knew it and, uh, you know, knew that was what right. uh, Jessica was pulling towards. But we actually, we haven't seen somebody fully voice them either. True. These have Just been like, like the attenuation. In yeah, yeah. These have been like me uh, manipulating your emotional response a little bit. And I mm. think they, they, they are definitely know. And they're like, huh, right. you're trying to trick me. Um 
But yeah, I, I don't know why they have a... It must be through their Reverend Mother, an appreciation of Maybe, the power. yeah. Something like that. You um, think, she, uh, was it uh, Romalo? Do you think she's capable of that? The voice? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Dude, this Rogue, girl. This, Rogue, she, Rogue like, Benny Jesuit, I'm just I saying. Just wanna, yeah, no, she'd be like a Tibetan throat singer. Like, she can voice. Ooh. Uh, we're going to meet Romalo soon, Mike. I'm excited to meet her. So, Paul and Hera, they uh, go down to their quarters because, yeah, the, uh, the night you just told you to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> so, I guess away we go. She takes his arm. <laughs> yep. And uh, I like that. You no, know, so, like, I like the little conversation. They're kind of, this whole walk is them negotiating their relationship. Yeah, essentially. yeah, pretty much. Hara's going to press him a few times. Well, I feel like it's uh, hmm. more Hara appealing. About the relationship, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Paul's she's, just like, no. She's uh, trying to appeal the decision. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's yeah. laying it on thick. <laughs> that, I was going to say, like, yeah, the whole walk. She tries to make a couple more passes <laughs> yeah. and then accepts her fate. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, Along the way, uh, we also get sort of a tour of uh, the sketch, essentially. We're poking into rooms, right? So the first thing, she kind of tells him, like, why she does not hate him, essentially. Uh, you know, that there'll be a time for mourning. There'll be a time for this when it comes. Uh, she's more interested that he gave moisture mm. to the dead. And she asks if that's true. She's like, that was huge for the rest of the Fremen there. You know, true. some of them, they all touched his face and stuff and took that water. Um, and then they pass a sort of workshop. Well, not just that. She's what? like, you really did that? It's like, yeah, yeah, I did. It's like, more than I would do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, more than I will and more than I can. Is that what it was? Is it not? Yeah, look right in there. Oh, you're right. More than I'll do, can do. Interesting. Can't. I think can't. So that like, I think that is an important way to finish that sentence. Right. Yeah. Because of how she grew up, like it's just it's literally not possible for her, and that's why it's so moving and uh, such a powerful statement from Paul. I wonder what the time of mourning is for them. Um. Yeah, that's a good thing. I I imagine that'll be finally when they do the funeral plane thing, maybe. Oh. Like if you do something out there, it must be something you do is like all, all together mm-hmm. in a, like a mass grouping. Maybe you, uh, maybe we celebrate all Fremen leaving at once kind of deal. Oh, uh, maybe. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure. That makes sense. Uh, I'll try to find an answer for you on that. Hmm. Um, get a more Fremen bear, uh, funeral. That's really good. Hmm. Yeah. So then uh, we proceed on and we end up going past a sort of workshop that works on uh, spice plastics. And they're all like hustling and bustling in there. And Paul's sort of like, "What's what's going on here? Like, mm-hmm. aren't we aren't we piecing out?" And like, no, they have a they have a quarter to meet before we flee. We have to make dew collectors. So we're like, we're not even making weapons of war, Mike. We're yeah. making dew collectors. Well, that's what's important. That is. We have I, was, to. I just like to highlight something as well. Mm-hmm. Just for my boy here, um, the stone floor was smooth, swept clean of sand. <laughs> <laughs> he he's getting some time in the sun here. <laughs> like I used to Faruka, he swept all night. Like, yeah. He didn't get a stop. It's gonna, it's gonna look great. <laughs> it's gonna look great. Oh, uh, Mahdi's gonna love this. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I assume, again, he's only working to get in on Paul's good he's side. Because he doesn't want to sweep later in yeah. life. Like, yeah. I don't want to sweep and done now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Fremen thought. <laughs> um. But yeah, so it's really cool that that's what their focus is. Like I said, yeah, we can't stop the great work that we're kind of doing. So Paul's then hit with this sort of unexpected, terrible purpose. Mm. It says Paul caught himself in a stumble, sensing an arrest, uh, an arrested instant of time, remembering a fragment, a visual projection of prescience, but it was all displaced 
like a montage in motion. The bits of his prescient memory were not quite as he remembered them. So I think that's really cool. That's like while he's looking in there, those kind of dude collectors, right? Right, right, right. And uh, why I still cling to like that Cheney memory thing where I'm telling you like he's seen all this stuff before, but now it's all like a different angle, a different like perspective, right? Like we're all, it's moved a slightly different and he's not sure why. And it makes him feel very uncertain and I think unsafe in a way. What else changed? Again, the Heisenberg effect from the tent, from the tent. All from that tent moment when he like uh, using that Doctor Who right, reference right. of like staring at when the master looks at the blind schism of t- or the pure schism of time. Yeah, yeah, like that's what Paul did. He stared at prescience uh, without knowing that he was having such an effect. It's the stark naked Danny DeVito. Yep. Ah. <laughs> hey guys, <laughs> I feel like we're going more Gilbert Godfrey here. <laughs> Which is equally terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the other. We found the other angel on the shoulder. Oh God, we're not doing that voice though. That's uh, Gilbert Godfrey's on the Surat. He's the angel of death behind you. (laughs) Better run fast. That I don't want us to do a Gilbert Godfrey voice. It should be much higher pitched than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, fix it in post. I'll fix it in post. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, I think that's wild and that this stuff is sort of like churning for him, but maybe do you think this is kind of reflecting on the decision he just made with Hera? No, that would have been the most, the most recent kind of decision we made right before Mm -hmm. coming down this hallway. Uh, maybe that's why. And he doesn't, it's sort of like he made something that's changing. It's changing right now as he's walking to his house. His little home. Mm. Oh, do you think it's because he uh, took her as a servant? Yeah, possibly? that's what I'm saying. Like, oh. because he took her as a servant, maybe like, and she's pressing him right now. Time is just sort of like in flux or something. It just seems weird that it, well, like, it wouldn't change it. The fact that they're making do harvesters. I feel like that changed <laughs> in the last five minutes. <laughs> wouldn't be the do harvesters. Surely, surely. <laughs> I don't know, Mike. Morse code could be anything. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I think it's it's got to be the, like the hard th- yeah, but no. I love that uh, that little bit. And so this is giving us uh, another view of the crazy infrastructure the Fremen have. Right, they're building all this machinery. Mm-hmm. Now Hara kind of carries on of like, look, uh, er, I'm sorry, she is very nonchalant that the Saldakar will find this place eventually. Yeah, <laughs> like, like of course the Saldakar like, they'll, they'll get here at some point, but they haven't even gotten into like this area yet. So we're we're good. We got time. Yeah, um, and we got to make these new collectors, baby. And this just <laughs> confounds Paul. But again, the planting is more important. And uh, then we kind of get a little lesson on Duke collectors from Hara. Now, way, way back, I kind of brought this up with you. Uh, we actually talked about this very device. Uh, when we first kind of brought up wind traps and these things that I told you they made. Yeah. Um, the Duke collectors, you made them... Uh, I think I mixed like- up the when they're clear, when they're uh, opaque. Uh, I think that's what I got wrong the first time I told you it, though. Oh. Because it tells you, like, I think I had it um, backwards. So in this, it's uh, you can see them glistening in the dawn if you look down from a high place. White reflects. But when old father's son departs, the chromoplastic reverts to transparency in the dark. It cools with extreme rapidity. The surface condenses moisture out of the air. That moisture trickles down to keep our plants alive. 
Dude collectors. That's really good. And really so good. it's it's a really good self-sustaining uh System. device. Yeah, it makes yeah. me think of those uh those tiny little like uh ecosystem in a bottle kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. We let like the the sunlight uh cause the evaporation and then it just sort of like forms up at the top and, and then, then trickles down. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh and like I know of a way you can make a dupe collector where uh like if you're in the desert and you need to collect like the morning water, mm-hmm. you dig a small hole and uh if you put plastic wrap over it and then like a pebble in the middle just to kind of make a little well, uh the like air difference between what's in the hole and on that plastic will have that same effect. And oh. it'll collect all the dew in the morning and then you can drink that. Get a little little something. Oh, interesting. Um, if we ever need to, I also know a way to make a baboon lead you to a, a pool of water. If you ever want to hear that story. This sounds like a monkey bite kind of story. It's pretty close to it. <laughs> uh, it's a really, it's the weirdest thing I ever learned in high school. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, you learned. Okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, it's some week, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. I'm done. So, uh, the tour goes on <laughs> and, uh, Hara, is, she's been uh, pretty sharp and is still on the first question, though, because uh, we've been having this kind of conversation, right? Uh, hmm. And she got, brings it back to Jameis. That was the first thing we talked about right. coming down here was, like, the hating in the morning of hmm. Jameis. And we've done this whole diatribe of things, and she comes back of, like, oh, Paul, uh, you know, she says, Jameis would not treat the boys any different. Would you if we had a child, oh, essentially? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul's like, that's not going to be a problem with us, Hera. <laughs> we don't have that problem. But if... <laughs> it's like, Hera, we're not having children. <laughs> don't worry about it. We're just going to have to deal with the two we have. And uh, so that's our first attempt. The tour goes on. We go past a weaving machinery room. We uh, hear about a food processing room, a still suit maintenance room. And some of these like were just gestured to, like beyond this, around that corner, yada, yada. But letting us just know the scope of where we're going through. Right, right, right. And we learn Hara is a fine still suit uh, manufacturer. Yeah, so she's one of the weavers? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, uh, maintenance. One of the, It was a weaving, oh, I guess it could be weaving machinery to it. Yeah. Somewhere in there, yeah. She's awesome with still cloth. And she basically, she works there in the high season. But tells Paul, like, I can do it anytime for you. <laughs> Again, trying to earn her yeah, play. That'll yeah. work for you. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, and they, they are bound a little bit. Well, yeah, yeah. I think I think it's just cool, her, like, showing her worth and stuff. Um, then they move into some busier hallways, and uh, a file of Fremen go by with gurgling packs. <laughs> which I love, right? And they're moving all the spice and water out of this place. Now they they gotta move some stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> were, you, were you reflecting? We're on not how- in any rush. <laughs> what I mean, time for run. Yeah, I just thinking like how much water was in Cave of Ridges. <laughs> if we're taking this out, like, oh, okay. So one of the times we went camping, Mike, I brought back up that two gallons of water up the mountain for the second run. You Holy were crazy. Shit. I wanted to kill myself. <laughs> I can't imagine if your life depended on it. And, and we, <laughs> we all have to bring five gallons of water through the desert, and you can't drink this water. Then we found out that our friend had a water pump, and we didn't have <laughs> a water it. purifier. Yeah. <laughs> didn't need it. <laughs> didn't make for a strong Derek. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I think it's just insane that they got to do it by hand. Mm-hmm. We're just carting this stuff out, water and spice, going at a time. Uh, it's a gurgling pack. Um, and then the tunnels that we're in now are um, they're lined with like openings up to the side, and these are our rooms. We're in the residential yeah. area, uh, and it's even like it's not only one room. Like you have side rooms that go back. Like these are carved out pretty. Um, mm-hmm. 
very maze-like almost, uh, labyrinthine. Uh, and then if you look into each of these rooms, they're full of like fabrics and cushions. They're all very much styled like uh, old school tents uh, from back in the day, which is how um, in all like Arabic societies, like the nomadic tribes, like the Bedouin and stuff, that's mm-hmm. what they would do. They would always prop up their tents at the end of the day. Yeah. And like you, it's like stepping into a palace. Once it's all set up, they have carpets they roll out and everything. It gets wild. And then they always have coffee. Always. Yeah. Got it. So Paul's taking over coffee service, right? Yep, he's got a he's got a little coffee marker now. Yeah, uh, we would. I think we, we would have finally. I think he unofficially gets it. We were told we'd be giving it in like a ceremony, but I think Paul so just has it. Coffee service. Does that mean that he provides coffee for people? No, I think that means in CH Paul has access to coffee. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I think this is like okay. So I didn't know if he was the new barista of CH. Yeah, yeah he's got a new job. Um, the who uh, was it? He who controls the pumpkin spice controls the world. <laughs> oh, <that's, laughs> what? Um, oh, what was I? Damn it! The pumpkin spice <laughs> threw me off. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I. I That's what you get for being funny. Hoisted by my own petard. Uh, if I can come, coffee service. Um, so one of the things for Frank Herbert uh, that he built this on. This is actually like uh, that we can macro look at Dune for. Okay. When he built a society up, uh, part of the Fremen society and the difference from them and the Imperium is that they have to be able to carry everything they own. And that helps dictate, like, how their society operates, of, like, the luxuries they have, how many people in your family you can support, right. and things like that. Because it's all dependent on the things you have, ultimately, and things you have access to. And I think coffee is sort of the one thing that is, for some reason, maybe in Siet is just there and we don't carry that all with us or something hmm. to get like coffee brought to you or some service. But it's, I don't, I don't know otherwise what coffee service is or like why kinds had coffee service at like, like <laughs> place we stopped, but like Paul has to go back to Siet with a token. <laughs> I don't know how it works, <laughs> but I, I would like to think there's just a, a general how coffee supply here. His coffee for the Fremen. Jeez. Uh, I mean, it is a luxury. I mean, well, what, think about my get something you're putting water in, right? Yeah. So, well, I mean, it is just water, more or less. Who knows with that? Oh, my God. It must be so syrupy. Where do they get their, their beans have got to be from a cause, right? Well, they do spice coffee. Oh, it's spice coffee. Yeah. Oh, so it's just spice and I water. Think I, yeah. Well, mostly spice. <laughs> yeah. Again, I think it's like syrup, like thickness. Do you now think that, those now that you bring re- up the water part. refilling the coffee station? <laughs> the ones with the gurgling. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Out of the way! <laughs> We're out of coffee! Stilgar's back! Stilgar's He's back. a fiend! <laughs> he really is. So, I, I don't know. I really don't know. But, um, as we go past these rooms, uh, everyone stares at Paul. Mm. All looking at him. This is, think about how the news that this would have been building up in Siege Tabar when everybody left. Oh, yeah. Well, one, they went out to go do their side things, but I think rumor would have gotten around like, oh, Liet sent a message. Like, oh, they're coming oh, back with Lisan al Yeah. And now Lisan al The Lisan al Killed Jameis. I was going to say, is in your sketch. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I think there's mixed reviews to kill Jameis. <laughs> I think it's sort of like kill Jameis. And some are like, hey, kill Jameis. Okay, if those 40 men tell three of their friends. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> they're Fremen friends. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you are right, because part of why they're looking out on him is some of them don't agree with that, how James right. was dispatched. So there is tension and undermines, I think, what we really acutely honed in on where Stilgar was trying to induct them into the tribe right, right away. Like, right. Us 40, we're a family. We gotta so do this we very quick. There, like, yeah. You all need to have his bag so this doesn't become exactly, a problem. Exactly, yeah. That's, oh, that's a really good point, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think just so it makes it easier. I wasn't sure how the rest of the sketch was going to take it. And but, uh, I like that it's varied. Like, yeah. They're not uh, a monolith. or like, They don't just do what Stilgar I mean, it's says. It's a community. Yeah. Everyone's and, individual still. Exactly. Well, and everybody, people, they do have ambition. Mm-hmm. Like like Jameis. Like some want to ascend and do other things. So I like that that's present even like with Farouk. Like Farouk. <laughs> Farouk <laughs> the dedicated Saint Farouk. Um, but just uh, even with Liette being this overarching, like, you know, God figure to them, guiding right, them on right, this great right. path. Like they still are like, well, some of us don't really want to go all the way. You know, we have ideas of our own. But uh, kudos to Hara. She picks up on this almost immediately and mm-hmm. just instantly sort of like interjects with uh, what's <laughs> yeah. going on. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the people find it strange that he bested Jameis pretty much. But and that uh, likely he's going to have to do more proving around here. No, he'll have to do more proving when we settle in at our new Siet. Ooh. So it's like you're safe right now. <laughs> when we get home to our new house, you're going to have to fight some people, yeah. Paul. Like <laughs> your killing days aren't over. We're not going to give you the key until you prove it. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, yeah, we got that to look forward to. I think that it's just, it's interesting and kind of threatening. Uh, and before we have too much time to even, like, dwell on that, we hear these, like, shrill chanting uh, from around the corner. Yeah. And I think that's, like, poorly chosen words that are perfect to describe what it is. But, mm. like, when I first get them, I'm like, what the hell is going yeah, on? Yeah, it's like someone's like, dying. Run. Yeah, and you get that. And, no, and right after that statement, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you have to do more proving. <laughs> Yeah. And it's like, it's children in the classroom. <laughs> so like, okay, that's why they're just high pitched voices. And we have like symbols being shown on the wall. And then the kids are saying what each symbol mm-hmm. is. Awesome. And that's going to be like, I assume markings we leave for each other on walls, like subtle clues and, oh, yeah. and stuff. If not just like a sort of hieroglyphic language they have maybe. Yeah. Uh, Cause it, she's, she's going through different uh, pictures and they're like uh, saying what they are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, with each one. And Paul's just like, you conduct classes at a time like this? And his face went somber and grief, ed- or, I'm sorry, her face went somber and grief edged her voice. What Liet taught us, we cannot pause an instant in that. Liet, who is dead, must not be forgotten. It's the Chacobsa way. <gasps> Chacobsa way coming there back. There it is. Uh, yeah. So I think that's... Uh, Again, kind of the same uh, enforcement we got before. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, these things are too important to stop. We do do collectors. We teach our children. Those are the prime, like, goals. Everything right. else will stop before this does. Uh, now we reach Paul's Yai. Yali. And uh, Hara parts, and we have orange gauzy hanging. So, like, oh, Ooh. Hara's matching. Right? Yeah. She's got orange. House is orange. Good little place. This is just her favorite color. And maybe she's the spice fiend. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I like that she opens it and Paul hesitates before joining her on the ledge. Mm-hmm. He felt a sudden reluctance to be alone with this woman. <laughs> 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 it came to him that he was surrounded by a way of life that could only be understood by postulating an ecology of ideas and values. He felt that this Fremen world was fishing for him, trying to snare him in its ways. And he knew what lay in that snare. 
the wild jihad, the religious war he felt he should avoid at any cost. It's me, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> that three pack a day boy. Hey, Paul, how you doing? <laughs> Did you hear like a beer crack on his shoulder? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can't run forever, Paul. <laughs> I'll be waiting. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's very Nosferatu. He's always there. No matter how fast you run, he's just always there. But you know what? He might even call him Young Master. I don't think uh, he'd be offensive to Gurney. I don't want to pull no. him. Him. <laughs> He's a respectful demon. <laughs> so, Paul, uh, he steps up at her persistence. Uh, and as he does, he touches the fabric. Now, this was kind of interesting. And uh, again, I might have done too much digging into this. But, Mike, okay. I got a little side story. We're going down on this fabric. About the fabric? Yep. So, he touches it. And he has a Jessica moment. He has been doing his finger training, Mike, because he senses there's oh. metal fibers woven into the fabric. Ooh. What does that mean? Knife resistant. I think so, too. So yeah. I reflected back first at the, sti- the um, story with uh, the still tents that were sabotaged <laughs> for the, um, the Beast Bond. And I was like, yeah, they put the shiga wire in so you couldn't cut it, right? Right. So I was like, maybe are we sabotaging like this kind of place before the Sadakar get here? Oh. But like... The whole point of the tent was that you, the tent was killing you and we didn't want you to cut your way out. So I don't think that's the same. Hmm. So I left that one behind and I was like, all right, what happens if you put uh, metal in a fabric? Well, you get something called conductive textiles, Mike. And I was like, well, Ooh. thank you, Google. I have something <laughs> better to put in now. So I looked into conductive textiles and essentially, you know what you could make with this? It's a Faraday cage. Oh, and I was like, what if this is just some way to block the Sadokar from scanning the area and stuff? Oh, interesting. And like, is some sort of like passive sensory uh, blocking mechanism. Hmm. I don't know if Unless it was- everyone was in their Yali at the time, though. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, certainly, it leaves like a lot of problems and is not right. like final. Uh, but it was just like, I'm like, why else is there fiber in there? I, Maybe they just all make the things out of like the same material just for efficiency. Wait, what do you mean? Like, uh, but we're mixing two materials. Yeah, but don't you mix materials for uh, uh, still suits? Yeah. Well, I mean, but like I'm a metal cloth. What do you, what do you mean by mixing materials, I guess? I was thinking that you meant like the fiber and the metal. Yeah. Okay. Oh, uh, never mind. Yeah, the steel cloth is definitely different. <clears throat> we don't know what like what goes. Steel cloth is magic. Never, <laughs> we never exactly what's in there. I don't know what's happening yeah, anymore. Yeah. All right. Well, so it could be this Faraday cage. Might not be. Could just be for strength. Mm-hmm. Always a thing. But nonetheless, Mike, looking into conductive textiles, uh, regardless, the Fremen are making them. They better have associated with the conductive fiber. The Conductive Fiber Manufacturers Council, which is a thing, and it was established Ooh. in uh, 2007 in Frankfurt, Germany. Really? That's pretty recent. Pretty recent. Uh, yeah, and it's just there to, it was basically like this industry realized like, hey, no one's talking to each other. Uh, like <laughs> The scientists that make this don't talk to the engineers that use it or the, <laughs> like the industry that needs it. What if we all just got together? So <laughs> let's meet once a one. Yeah, it's literally a collection of people in these industries. They just made like a newsletter and they're just like, they have three different tiers you can apply for it in. It was really cool. It's super nerdy. Their webpage looks like it's out of 1996. <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. Um, 
slap it together really quickly. Yeah, so I just wanted to uh, include that with you. So uh, there is a council for uh, conductive fiber, because why not? So, beyond not knowing how that works, Hara, she first tells Paul the, the kids will be gone for a bit, which is, I think, oh. her... Yeah, 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 yeah. You didn't get Hara. that. That was her second pass at him. She's had more than two. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then she even throws in of like, why don't I help you out of that still suit? <laughs> and he's just like, or you could get food. <laughs> I'll take that. So she tells him, well, there's a shitter over there. <laughs> and it goes the other way. Like, there's a bathroom you can change in. God damn it. Uh, and then she gets her final pass at him. Clock's ticking. She's got one year. <laughs> yeah. Every second counts. <laughs> so she goes, you've not the eyes of the Abad. It's strange, but not entirely unattractive. Ah. <laughs> Get the food. I'm hungry. <laughs> so he sends her on her way in a way very similar to his grandfather. Hmm. Wait, what? He says, "Get the food. I'm hungry." It's very uh, barren. Oh, that grandfather, like the old Duke? It's like, what other grandfather? The cool one? Yeah, the one that's uh, on the horns. Yeah, I was just thinking, like, when did I hear that? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Grandpa Baron and Grandpa Duke are very different. (laughs) They're very, very different. I I forgot, like, uh, you're the only one who would know about the Duke. No one else would know that. So... Uh, she gives Paul, like, a knowing smile and then kind of leaves. We're like, mm. I think that was finally her being like, okay. I, I gave you all I I'll got. I'll stop. I'll those, stop. Those are my three guaranteed moves I've always had. They worked on Jeff and they worked on Jameis. <laughs> James didn't even get past the second one. Yeah. Um, and uh, with this heart, she's gone. And Paul, I think he, he goes into the adjoining room and he finally gets a moment where he can think about Cheney. Uh, and maybe even just kind of respectful for him that he wouldn't let her enter his mind with this horror there. Like, Mm -hmm. he really wanted this to be a private moment for him, right? Yeah. Uh, And he sort of reflects on how they've both lost their father recently. And that's something you and I touched on, of like a common point for Mm -hmm. them, right? Uh, Then a wailing cry cuts through the sketch. This is our way to tell time. Again. Again, I thought someone was dying. <laughs> Very alarming kind of uh, sound <laughs> moved through this hall. And we're just like, oh, that's the clock. Okay. That's children. Okay. Um, so then the smell of a burning creosote bush hits Paul's nose. And then it just reminds him like, oh, I forgot how much this place stinks. Like, <laughs> Man. Um, and then Derek was like, I'm going to go down another rabbit hole here. Uh, why? Well, why'd they burn creosote? Uh, that's the bush they use for, like, the salve for their hands, right? Yes. I don't know if burning it does something. Right. And it does. Uh, so there are a lot of medical properties within a creosote bush, apparently. Oh. Yeah. It's sort of uh, news to me. But um, I, and I don't think this is going to end with us burning them. The, uh, this is something we actually discovered a post-Dune, too. We wouldn't have known oh. about the second bit. Uh, we did know some stuff about it. So um, there's a long traditional usage of the plants by Native American uh, tribes in the southwestern North America and um, within the South America. So kind of our western uh, south to, like, Mexico and into, like, the northern part of South America. Mm-hmm. I hate that I got to like jump those all together, but the middle of the American continents together. Mm-hmm. Um, and this plant is rich in this thing called uh, ligands and uh, they're called the bicephal- bicephalin ligands and tricyclic ligands. 
also known as cycloligands. <laughs> yeah, combining them both together. So uh, tricyclic tri- uh, refers to the presence of three rings in a chemical structure. Okay. And so the bi is Exactly what it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. So the bi is two in it. So these are these chemical structures, and it's a compound. Um, It's responsible for these pharmacological effects, uh, right? Mm -hmm. So some of these uh, we've known, which is like um, anti-herpes, antioxidant, antifungal, anti-inflammatory. We've known that for ages, right? And that's going to be stuff Frank would have known about for like okay. rubbing it on your palms, right? Uh, it's like antiperspirant. Only recently have further studies revealed other crucial activities of the same plant molecules as powerful agents against human immunodeficiency virus, human papillomavirus, cancer, neurodegenerative diseases, and symptoms of aging. Whoa. Fucking creosote does it. Oh, damn. I mean, it literally helps with HIV. That's (laughs) That's pretty pretty awesome. Uh, So I just thought that was really neat. Uh, And so that was uh, pulled from the Journal of Traditional and Complementary Medicine um, from the online May 2015 edition. Uh, But, well, just so if anybody, I don't know. If anyone wants to look at it. Yeah. Whatever your niche interest is, somebody's going to have it. There's the creosote bush for you. There you go. Uh, But I was hoping to find something a little more um, mystical in how you do it. Uh, But otherwise, maybe we just burn creosote because everybody's so gross. Uh, We just want to cover that smell up. So... I will carry on. And if you have anything you want to throw in there. No, just uh, I happened to stumble upon this while looking for gurneys sure. earlier. We have a, uh, a gurney who is the uh, first female professor of pharmacology in Scotland. <gasps> What's her name? Allison Marion Gurney. Okay, I, I, obviously, I want to know where gurney fit into the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was just like, it's like, that sounds super familiar. What was that? that pharmacology. <laughs> Pharmacological. <laughs> gurney senses are tingling. All right, continue. Excellent. Um, so now at this point, um, Paul notes a stark difference between the Imperium and the Fremen. Mm-hmm. In this room here, because again, the smell hits him, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think the smell prompts this other thing, this other thought to go through him, where he looks around and realizes there's no poison snoopers anywhere. But smell of poisons is all about. And maybe that, maybe, I guess, no, because Creo, it's not a poison, but. He must smell, he smells something on the air too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like, common. is it a cigar? And <laughs> <laughs> hey, Paul, is it this? It's <laughs> um, waving in front of his nose. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, um, he smells common poisons and like really deadly poisons. Yeah, 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 just yeah. like mixed in. And it's like, and plastic explosives. <laughs> like, <laughs> damn, this place is dangerous. Um, but he, uh, doesn't really have anything else to go from it. And then he hears a rustle of hanging. <gasps> and we get to our final paragraph in this chapter. <gasps> he heard a rustle of hangings. Thought it was Hera returning with food and turned to watch her. Instead, from beneath a displaced pattern of hangings, he saw two young boys, perhaps aged nine and ten, staring out at him with greedy eyes. Each wore a small kindle-type crisp knife, rested a hand on the hilt. And Paul recalled the stories of the Fremen that their children fought as ferociously as the adults. I'm your dad now. <laughs> okay. I feel like, is he going to have time to get those words out, or are these well, like, two going to be on him? Well, here's the thing. Have they been informed yet? 
I don't know. Because, like, you're in our house. <laughs> how do you feel about him coming crisp knife in hand, though? <laughs> yeah. Even if they do know that that's dad. Is that how you greet dad? Oh, maybe. I just... One of them's had to go through this before. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'll take the lead. <laughs> I'll make him bleed first. He looks at him like, huh, now we're even. <laughs> Yeah, that must be awkward for... Uh, well, actually, you wouldn't know, because it's 9 and 10. Meh, I'm going to give it to him. He was yeah. a rambunctious one-year-old. You think he knew? <laughs> yeah. The babies, like, or, the babies or are the worst. Sam and Harkonnens at that age. But that brings us uh, to the end of our chapter here. Do you have any questions from Mike? Did I miss anything in there? Oh man, I don't think I don't think we did. I think we uh, went back to anything I wanted to. It was touch it was on. pretty good stuff. Okay, then the only thing I would say is like that. So those are Jameis's children showing up. Oh, like, do you remember, obviously. Do you remember their names? Ooh, what were I know? One's Jeff's kid and one's Jameis's kid. Hey, I don't that, remember. That's good enough. Don't worry. We're gonna oh, yeah. they're gonna be around next chapter and such. Little Jameis and little Jeff. That's all I know. <laughs> that's how the disrespectful parent would. Be. You should <laughs> no. see no difference between them and your own, Mike. <laughs> no. Yeah, wow. So they're only like five, six years apart from Paul. Yeah. That's, again, like, I think Stilgar addressing how weird the situation is. Stilgar would have known that going in. Paul would not have had an idea of, like, yeah, you're not much older than the kids you're responsible for. Like when you're in elementary school and you're like, oh, those are the big kids. We don't talk to them. It's like, that's because that big kid's your dad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, dude. That's like the scale we're at. I just imagine there's some nurse that is like going to jail and uh, a fifth grader who's the coolest kid in school. I didn't even think about that. All the implications of that story, Mike, there's a lot there we can unpack. There's no small characters in any tale we tell. But why don't we uh, refill our glasses here? And take that a, take sounds a break. like a plan. So, Derek. Filling up for wine glasses. Hey, only means one. Here. Only means one thing. Oh, it's that time. It's that time. We gotta let people know that we partnered with Audible, and right now they're offering our listeners a free 30-day trial when they visit audibletrial.com/spiceworldpod. That is awesome. It's awesome. So what does that mean? That means that when you sign up, you get one credit that you can use to pick from one of thousands of titles, like Dune. Mm-hmm. That was my first audiobook. I highly recommend it. Exactly. And if you have Amazon Prime, you can sign up with that account and you get two credits instead. Oh, that's fantastic. It's pretty good. Every month, you get an additional credit that you can use to get any other audiobook you want. Doesn't matter what the price is. One credit means one audiobook. That's been, oh man. I love just picking like the longest ones I can. Sometimes I'll just like knock out a series as the months go by. It's really satisfying. What are you reading right now? So every now and then, you know, I'll do like some really long books. I'll do some nonfiction books. And I'm like, I just need a little something to get like, you know, for this next hour. Just like get me by. So I picked up another large collection. The Complete Fiction of H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, hey, yeah. So, yeah, it's all of his short stories. There's, like, over 30 of them in there. Um, and various sizes, too. Some are, like, a full chapter book. Some are, like, little novellas he oh, wrote. yeah, yeah. So you can find one to fill in as much time as you need to get a little horror into it. And yeah. uh, one of my favorite stories of his is Call of Cthulhu. Oh. And I just wanted to, without even telling you guys what it's about, I just want to read you the first two lines from that book. Because I picked it up one day. I just read that and I bought it and walked out. Uh, I was like, <laughs> I'm taking this home. I'm like, I need this. It was. It's just smacked me in the face. But this is the opening of Call of Cthulhu. The most merciful thing in the world, I think. 
is the inability of the human mind to correlate all its contents. We live on a placid island of ignorance in the midst of black seas of infinity, and it was not meant that we should voyage far. Oh, right? It just makes you, like, yeah. skin crawl. I hope the like... chipper music doesn't make that like, any, <laughs> weird, any worse. But, uh, yeah, so that was the complete fiction of H.P. Lovecraft by, obviously, Howard Phillips Lovecraft. That's awesome. I would actually love to listen to that at some point. But, uh, hey, what if you don't like Audible? It's not for Wait, you. Is that possible? I don't know. <laughs> what would you do? Well, when your 30 days are up, they're going to go ahead and give you a little cursey okay, email, so first you, of all. you still tried it, at Yeah, least. you still tried it. Ooh. And if you do want out, you get to keep your audiobooks. Yeah, they will stay attached to your account forever, guys. Forever. You can always visit them anytime you want. Hey, we know you understand the value of a good book. You read Dune. We're going to help you get one free audiobook when you visit audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. And you know what? Let us know what book you pick Oh, up. that'd be great. That would be the best. That'd be cool. So once you guys have gone to audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod, hit us back with the diss trans or in any way you want to reach out to us. That's true. Little Giovanni. Ha-ha. <laughs> All right, let's get back to this. Okay, I'm ready. All right, Mike. Ooh. It's been uh, an adventurous time in the desert. I think we've been traveling too long with someone who's maybe a bit of a perfect stranger to us. Well, now we should have oh, gotten so much more familiar. Oh, we chose the wrong one. <laughs> Story of our lives. I want to tell you about a certain man. Stilgar Ben Fifrawi. I forgot his middle name was Ben. Did you not notice that I didn't stumble over the last <laughs> name like I did so bad the first time? I got. I just keep getting hung up on Ben. Ben. Ben Fifrawi. Ben Fifrawi. Uh, love it. Yeah, old Ben. Uh, old Ben of the desert. <laughs> yeah. This is our Stilgar. So, we're going to learn a lot about a Stilgar. Uh, and I got some stuff I never knew about Stilgar. Such as Stilgar's old CH name. Ooh. Stilgar's old Fremen name. Wait, wait, it wasn't always Stilgar? It was not always Stilgar. Whoa. Yeah, let alone it wasn't even Ben, so. <laughs> okay. Don't, don't get too too attached to Ben. No, 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 I'm um, really excited. I did not yeah. think that that was a thing. Oh, no, I mean, there, it's entirely encyclopedia, but mm. uh, I was totally stoked to dig into it. Okay. And uh, the stories we've gone through, you know how we went through Jameis and then Chaney? Yeah. Getting here, I think we did them in the right order. They really uh, keep overlapping well. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, and, I'm curious. Uh, oh, does, do you think that means that, uh, well, uh, who was Liet named after early yet? He wasn't always old Liet. <laughs> he used to be young Liet. <laughs> no, no. Oddly enough, that meant, oh, okay, okay. I <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We, we got it okay. We got a reason <laughs> for it now. We have to make that okay. To Maybe in another 20 out. or 30 years, uh, Liet Kynes would have been early at Kynes. I don't know. Mm, I don't know. We'd have to change him to super old Liet. Like you gotta, <laughs> you gotta change a lot of names, Mike. Let's go back though to the year one hundred one forty one. That makes Stilgar currently fifty years old. But we're going back to his birthday. Hey, happy birthday, Stilgar! Yeah. So Stilgar is born, and uh, most generally described, he's most generally described as Stilgar the Fremen or Stilgar the Naive to us, like today. Right. But in his youth, as a Wali, an Umbu Siet. His birth name was Tuan. 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 Sounds super familiar or super similar to like Tuik. It is. I mean, it's T-U-A-N. So yeah. it, it's as close as you can get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but and then Umbu Sietch. Uh, I couldn't. It's not on the map. So that one's completely made up. So I can't oh. give you a location for that either. 
So he was in a different CH completely. Yeah, yeah. Like he was not in oh. CH Tabar at all. He became, he gets to control eventually CH Tabar. Like oh. that's where he makes a name for himself uh, down the road. But he grows up in uh, Umbu CH as a little guy named Tuan. All right, cool. So we're traveling with Tuan right now. Now, when Tuan, do you want me to call him Stilgar or Tuan? How do you want to roll we with can, this? We can go with Tuan. Let's okay. let's, uh, let's evolve him like Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, so when Tuan uh, became twelve years old, he was um, an accomplished uh, an accomplished sand rider, and um, he had gone on um, groups uh, with uh, other Fremen youth. To raid the Harkonnens. Nice. Tw- 12 years old. Nice. He's, he's, he's always been ride or die. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I was saying 12 year old, he's an accomplished sand rider. That's. And has done these raids. So that means this started prior to 12. Well, that also means that Jameis's kids are like ready to like fuck shit up. That's why Paul. Uh, <laughs> I was like, uh. Yeah. I, Mike, the beginning chapter next time, it just starts with a knife fight. <laughs> like, it's going to be great. Um, so. Uh, the raids on the Harkonnen villages, uh, and that's when he acquired the name by which he would uh, be best known. His troop name, used only by his comrades at Umbu Siech, is thought to have been Sakan. Thought to have been? Oh, because no one else would know. No, yeah, exactly. But Stilgard got drunk one day and like, told someone. So um, that's the Fremen name for a type of desert hawk. Oh, yes, that was obvious. Um, verification of this point is difficult to obtain. The evidence uh, found thus far consists of a reference made by a man from that Sietch who accompanied uh, Stilgar. That's so cool, too, to think uh, think about the me- first meeting with uh, Leto and Stilgar. It's just the, the meeting of the Hawks. Ooh, ooh, Mike. Ah, we're, I mean, we're doing all 50 years. I'm going to bring you to that meeting. Oh, we hit it on the nail. Like we were yeah. so dead on with what uh, Stilgar was doing there. I was really surprised to see it in text to be like, Oh, like, I mean, I guess it's the proper reading of the scene, but you'll, you'll see what I get to. Uh, all right, I think all right. we did a really cool job with them. So we are now, we, uh, Tuan Sakan. Tuan Sakan. is his name. All right. Just like Usal Moadib. Right, right, right. Tuan Sakan. Uh, from Siech Umbu. It wouldn't be reversed. Uh, no, I think we say Usal Moadib. Yeah, but then you said his, his, uh, Siech name would be Sarkhan? Sarkhan? So it would uh, be Sarkhan, uh, so his, his, Well, his birth name is Tuan. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I think that's what makes it different from Paul. Okay. If that makes sense. Either way, you know what? I just say, I'm going to walk away from this one. <laughs> this is not a hill I like, want to die I'm on. I'm just confused. <laughs> I, I'm a little ways in this one. Okay, that's fine. You call whatever the fuck you want to call. <laughs> <laughs> They're not labeled the same way as like Paul's are. So like, right, right, I, right. I can't, I just can't work it okay, out for Okay, okay, it's fine, it's um, fine. And I'm like. <laughs> I was just confused. <laughs> yeah, no, no. You were innocently. I didn't mean that to be accusatory. Um, so uh, at 16, Stilgar leaves Umbu the Sietch that he's grown up in. And this is when Parduk Kynes asked that a workforce accompany him to one of the newer palmerites to assist in planting poverty grass uh, along dune faces. Poverty grass. Poverty grass. It just means it probably requires very little in order to survive. Yeah, uh, it's one of the first ones you do and like kind of start to root the system in. Oh. It's a really cheap, easy grass. Nice. Uh, it doesn't take much water for it to live in. Perfect. Uh, and then you bring him uh, new other grasses in. I think uh, the other time when Kynes was on the 
uh, spice blow. We talked about that. And we did a him and his dad were talking through, like, you first plant this one, and then you can bring in the second one. You only need to control 3% of a surface. God, I hate Pardot. <laughs> I like it so much. Honestly, I don't think I would have hated him so much. I think the audiobook did sort of like that, that robotic voice. Yeah, it's a robot. Yeah. Um, but I would just like to say, so this is going to be him and Jameis are definitely together. Because mm-hmm. Jameis was pulled for the same work. He was working with Pardot. And then he bought into right, the myth right, right away. Um, so the, the young Fremen demonstrated an ability to lead groups of workers and kinds delegated as much work to him as he could handle. Well, still go, or sorry, Tuan Sakan moving right up and yeah, earning yeah. respect from this new kind of, and this is before Parda, I think is full on leading the Fremen. Like he's still earning their kind of trust and rights. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so impressed with kinds by this new worker that he took him back to sketch to bar with him as an assistant when he returned. At this point, uh, Tuan Sakan is 17 years old. Uh, so they had to put this all in years. I thought it was easier to give you Stilgar's age as we go. Yeah, that's fine. That makes, make, that makes way more frames sense. Frames it way easier. I appreciate that. Cool. Um, so Stilgar fit easily enough into the social structure of his new Siege, uh, being challenged only by a young hothead uh. who saw his closeness with Kynes the Uma as a possible threat to his own standing. Yeah, I wonder who that was. I, I, well, he's dead now, so <laughs> it doesn't matter. But do you remember what an Uma is? No, I don't. Uh, open up your glossary, and I believe that one is like um, a, a religious teacher. Um, oh, one of the Brotherhood of Prophets. Ooh, okay. Even better. So you didn't know either. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you can rub that in if you need to. I didn't okay. think that was necessary, but... <laughs> Whatever, it's a glossary game. I always got to have yeah, my yeah, little yeah. say. No, so, but so, so it's a term of scorn in the Imperium. <gasps> Ooh. Meaning any wild person given to fanatical prediction. Wait, okay. So, so it's an Imperial. The, what is the first? You read the, it's, it's two sections there, though, right? Yeah, so the first part is one of the Brotherhood of Prophets, and then in yeah, yeah. parentheses, a term of scorn in the Imperium. So I went, that must be like the Druses version of the Fremen. Oh, seeing him as the prophet. Because remember that I told you they broke from one prophet, right, right? Yeah, that's really cool. But I like so they call him here Kinds the Uma, and it's hyphenated uh, the way through. Ooh. Uh, so I think it's really interesting that they. So he must actually be in charge if we're calling him the pro, the brother of a prophet, right, right, right. right? Like that's up there. Interesting. Yeah. Um. So again, that was somebody who was jealous of um that. Uh, Tuan Sakan was working with Kynes. So we challenged him out. Tuan Sakan wins. Now, following his victory on the killing floor, Vorad, naive and leader of Sietchtabar, welcomed Tuan into the tribe, pointing out that any other would be combatants that the newcomer had proven his right to. Uh, um, I'm sorry, pointing out to other would be combatants, so everyone else that would have uh, challenged Tuan, mm-hmm. that like he is part of our tribe. He's joined us. Sort of like how I told you if uh, the Outworlder got blood in their mouth, like, you can't touch right, him. Right. He's one of us. Like, that's just not how it works. I still think that was a Piter plan. Oh, I think so, yeah. too. It would have been the best Piter plan. <laughs> um, so, Stilgar's place at Sietchtabar, it's further anchored uh, when Pardot Kynes arranged for Stilgar's uh, blood brotherhood with the younger Liet Kynes a year later. Bam! Blood ah! brotherhood established. Um, Did we just become best friends? <laughs> 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 Pardon, no power tools. 
Um, for the first, what do we have? <laughs> for his first 17 years at Tabar, uh, Tuan followed the usual pattern for Fremen males. He worked at the plannings, he fought Harkonnens and the, and the Harkonnen allies, and he met other men, uh, on the C- uh, other men of the Siech in practice knife combat, where he could be compared and evaluated by his peers. Ah. So this was a cool bit that they throw in here for um, fighting your people in the like practice fights and stuff right. is done for twofold reasons. Okay. One, it's uh, to just practice and become better. Uh, two, it's to demonstrate that you're not a weakling and you shouldn't be called out. Ooh. Right? Because you're, yeah. pr- you're proving how tough you are as well as learning. It's a display of strength. Yeah. And, but Mike, when I'm fighting you, I'm also making some notes to be like, if down the road, uh, you know, <laughs> shit hits the fan, I remember that Mike. Cheney Le- keeps a very. Ex- yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, Mike leans to the left after his knife switch or something. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It's that kind of information. Um, it's got a mean thriller, too. <laughs> but uh, and I like that uh, it tells you that like um, the this that having that duality of thought is not incongruous to like uh, Stilgar mm-hmm. to be like fighting a friend and that one day I might have to kill you. It like it, those can coexist in his mind, right, right, right. Uh, and I think that's really great. So the Berta uh, of a Siech, so this being being leadership in that sense, because uh, mm-hmm. remember that was that robe that he had, right. uh, was passed on from one man to the next by challenge and a fight to the death. So it was best to know how friends fought. The practice serves uh, double purpose of educating the likely on how to win and convincing the unlikely not to offer challenge, all while keeping the young men's hand-to-hand skills sharpened. Isn't that great? That's really cool, actually. Now, Very efficient. Yeah. You know, obviously, I want to holler back to... Um, <clears throat> Holler back to the Sardaukar and uh, don't kill the second best with the third right. best. You can't just keep killing Sardaukar. We need to stop at some point. Now, as I said, like that was like 17 years passed by. Right. That's going to move Stilgar through some years. So it's so, like about 35? Uh, well, I'm going to highlight you on the high. We had some events happen. Oh. Uh, we're going to go over. We're going to look through Stilgar's Let's scrapbook. Go through the greatest oh, hits. I'm sorry. Tuan scrapbook here. Uh, Tuan Shakan. And uh, when he was 19 years old. Uh, so this is about two years after coming over to C.H. Tabar right, and being right. like assistant. He actually marries, uh, and he marries uh, Misra, and uh, it's um, what? How many years later? Eight years later. So when he's twenty-seven, he marries again. Oh, we have two wives now. So Misra was his first wife. Then he marries Tharthar. <laughs> <laughs> Just the way you said it. Of course. <laughs> Tartar. Tartar. You on Pokemon, Mike. I got you a Pokemon. Um, and these are both women who grew up in Siege Tabar. Yeah. He also had his first son. Uh, and this was when he was 24. as his first kid. Uh, and it's a boy named Alir. Wait. What you, what are you trying to figure out? He's, he got... At 17, he got there. Then how many years later he got married? Uh, his first first gets married at 19. Oh, he, at 19. Yeah, in 10160. Yeah, there's, okay. eight, there's eight years between his first two is in his second marriage. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Uh, so the son, his son, so then to keep this time frame going, it's three years before the second okay. marriage for <clears throat> Alir's born. All right. So gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Married Misra, had Alir, married Tharthar. Uh, <laughs> And then um, we actually have a daughter, um, 
Oh, I'm sorry. Misra has a stillborn uh, in the following year. So Ooh. this is when he's 28. So there's one child that didn't make it. Mm-hmm. And then Tharthar gives birth to a surviving daughter uh, named Kala. And this is when he's 29. So his kids all come pretty later in life or in this like one compact moment while mm-hmm. he's in his late, late 20s. Uh, before he's 30, he's got both of his kids. Those are the only kids he's going to have of his okay. own. Um, now... In uh, 101.75, this is going to be when Stilgar is 34 years old. Okay. Tuan Sakan, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> his position changes. Harduk Kynes' death at the cave-in at Plaster Basin left the 19-year-old Liet Kynes to take over leadership of the tribes. This accident was a signal in several sketches to bar among them to re-examine their leaders. Ooh. This is going to make us look at Farad now, the old leader of Tabar, right? Okay. And basically, the youth are kind of being like, we have this new mission going forward. The old naives aren't really on board with this. We need the new ones. To, we need the next generation to take the mantle, right? Because right, right, like, right. we have this goal now. So, Is the, there like a council of naives that gather and discuss this? Um, they do have a council of naives at times. That is not what happens. Oh, okay. uh, this is sort of like, uh, I think it would be like a grassroots kind of movement if we were going to call it anything. Okay. I think it's sort of like the youth stepping up to take it. Because gotcha. again, uh, what's going to happen here is we're going to watch the ascension of Tuan Sakan, essentially. So the other naives like uh, Forad were seen as relics from the days before Kynes, better replaced by younger men in whom the Uma's dreams and ideals had been instilled since birth. So like just pure yeah. bred into the whole ideals, right? Uh, it came to no surprise to Forad when Tuan, after already having proved himself many times as the best fighter of his group, tailed him out a few weeks after the death of Pardot Kynes. Nor did Stilgar's victory over the older, slower man dartle anyone at Siege Tabar. Damn. So that so is, you said tailed him out? I was, I, I'm going back to that right now. Yeah, okay. That's all it told me. But I just want to set that scene of like, clearly that means Farad knew this was happening. I think he knew tonight was the night. Right. And he slips out going on probably some actual official action, you know, do something for the Fremen. Just never came back, though? Well, hold up. Oh. I'm, I'm painting you a whole scene, Mike. Okay, he sure. goes out. He he seized um, Tuan, slip out. Tuan's young. Tuan's quick. He's not the best, though. Farad has more experience. I think he knows Tuan's following him, and he takes him on a wild goose chase. Really makes that boy oh. work. You know, we're climbing the toughest rock, and, you know, it takes a little energy out of Farad, but he needs to make this one go through it. And then when they fight, I'm sure he gives it all, but he knows what's going to happen. Still in Argos, know what's going to happen. Mm. Under the light of the first moon, I think it all goes down. Oh, that's like a samurai duel right there. Oh, yeah, I think as you think they both jump in the air. Oh, yeah. Shing, shing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then Farad just falls. <laughs> okay, you know. <No>! <laughs> It's everywhere. It's the water. <laughs> yeah, you want to go full uh, Kill Bill yeah, yeah. or a uh, Shogun Assassin, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but that's what I think. I, I think it's something that great. Uh, that And there must have been like oh, that, that wonderful moment. Like maybe even when Stoker deals with a killing blow if they made eye contact. Because mm-hmm. I don't think there'd be resentment in Forehead. 
because he's so born and bred in this system too. Mm-hmm. I think there would just be respect all around. I would love for there to just be like a, you ever saw the uh, Animatrix where it's just like a series of short stories and tales. Like yeah, recurring. I mean it was I, way way back. It, it, yeah, it was you crazy. Might have to, it yeah. was crazy. But like I would love like a Tales of Dune kind of thing and just like small little like snapshots, Ooh, little, little vignettes. Of, yeah, uh, yeah. I like I feel like uh, Stilgar's tale would be very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Stilgar mapes like oh all yeah, and some smugglers would love it all, but. The Stilgar ultimately, and he returns to see it. He's welcome. They all know what happened. They all expected it. They were probably pleased. Uh, what did surprise the Fremen community was Liet Kynes' timely and unannounced arrival, riding in on a sandworm and striding onto the killing floor only moments after the watermen carried Farad's body away. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that's very the Fonz. Like uh, me. coming in, making a like a big entrance. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, a little, a little. Uh, I think I need to highlight the tension here, though. Uh, the leader was just usurped. Mm-hmm. These both are from the same Sietch. When Liet comes back, that's the one they look to for guidance too. You can't have two leaders, Mike. Right, right. Misra paused in bandaging the slash wound Stilgar had received on his right side during the fight, and the Sietch held its collective breath, waiting to see if Liet Kynes now intended to challenge his blood brother. You can challenge people right after one another? He's leader. You, yeah. Yeah. It's all, geez. I mean, it's done in, the, in that instant. The power we, we didn't even have the rights or anything. Mm-mm. Yeah, for Farad. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, granted, if they took the bot. Yeah, no, we probably didn't. Uh, we just bagged him up. So this actually comes with a little footnote uh, right onto this last line here. I told you about his bread brother. And if you go to that footnote at the bottom of the page, it says the following. The case for such a challenge could be, uh, could be made only if Liet Kynes was willing to claim that Stilgar had caused intentional harm to his tribe by killing Forad. Mm. That is the only catch. Okay. He would have to be intentionally harming the tribe in the same way I think Stilgar had to make the case that Farad was harming the tribe by his further leadership. Right, right, right. And not committing to the Uma's dream. The new naive, still flushed from the exertion of combat, also waited. The Tuan Sakan. I don't know if he's Stilgar yet. He must be Stilgar now. He's naive. I'm going to call him Stilgar. While he did nothing to betray his feelings at the time, Stilgar later described the moment as, More fearsome than facing a legion of other men alone, I was terrified that my brother would call me out, and whether more for fe- uh, from fear of killing him or of being killed, I cannot say. That's from uh, Stilgar's memoirs. That was the other oh! book that we touched on. The agony was brief. Happily ending when uh, Liet Kynes hurried across the killing floor and embraced the new leader. Oh, damn. Yeah. We wiped that right off. And uh, after congratulating Stilgar on his victory and assuring him that the slash was, uh, and assuring him that the slash was minor, Liet Kynes asked permission to address the troop. So acknowledge his yeah, Acknowledging the leadership. Little small things totally matter. It was immediately granted. And he explained to the assembled company that he had been granted his father's position as Imperial Planetologist and would be continuing the work with the palmaries that Pardot Kynes had begun. The speech was short but effective. Black Kynes had made it clear 
in terms the Fremen could accept that he had taken on his father's role as their leader, that the leadership of the individual Sietches would remain inviolate, and uh, uh, inviolate as it had been under the older kinds, uh, and that the ecological transformation would not be interrupted even by the death of any one man, even its originator. Mm. Definitely all back. So, Sietch Tabar now prospers under its new naive. Stilgar, he leads dozens of raids against the Harkonnens. Is he Stilgar now? He's Stilgar now. So he's now Gar. He's giving... <laughs> Good one. 50 years from now, he's Stilgar. <laughs> uh, logic <laughs> declares he must be now Gar. <laughs> Big brain thinking. <laughs> I don't know why we skipped over past Gar, but we'll no. touch on that later. Uh, all with minimum casualties. All of his raids. Hey. That good, that good. Uh, more farsighted than his predecessor, he also made plans for the gradual expansion of the cave warren, adding a larger factory, weaving areas, extra classrooms for the slowly ah. increasing number of children, as well as wind traps and catch basins to get water for the increasing population. This is an economic boom. We, yeah, it's really like someone, they have, I think it's because they have a purpose. They have a goal. Mm -hmm. For up until that point, it was just survival. There was nothing else they were trying to do. I don't mm -hmm. think there was anything else uniting the Fremen in a way. But now there's, there's a goal. There's a motivation. There's something they're striving towards. Like, paradise is so close. So, at 35 years old, in 10176, uh, this is for um, Stilgar, uh, Liet Kynes returns to Dabar uh, for, visiting, for a visiting that lasts several months. So, you know, he's been doing all his work, his pomularis, this and that. It was during this time that he married Falra. It's a Falra. Li, yeah, Liet yeah. his wife. This is a, a woman, a Tabar woman for whom he had grown up with and uh under the Fremen ritual with Stilgar officiating. Oh he did their wedding. He was the best man. No, no, he he was the I bet he was both. Yeah, he was the like the the, priest. Weird, the officiator. Yeah. Uh he went through the whole ceremony. He does all the ceremonies too. He did the funeral. Did you I, think, I think he just did a side job. It was like a notary. Um, yeah, he did everything. <laughs> yeah. He put on a different hat each time. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, late the following year, when the couple's daughter, Chaney, was born, uh, Stilgar and Misra stood as godparents to the child, pledging to raise her as their own in the event that her parents were unable to do so. That responsibility came upon them abruptly in, uh, like, in, uh, how many years later? Four years later? Because change <laughs> is four. So Stilgar is, like, 39 at this point. Uh, and this is when Falra is uh, injured in a rock fall, and she actually dies before any help can get to her. Yeah. Ooh. That was uh, Chaney's mother. So they take Chaney in because Liette is out. Uh, we touched on this with their backstory before. Yeah, right? yeah, He's yeah. dealing with all these Palmer stuff. I'm glad that we did uh, hers first then. Doesn't it make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all lining up. Uh, so she comes into Stilgar's house. Misra and Tharthar, they take <laughs> her immediately. They love her. And uh, they treat her as one of her own children. Uh, as did Stilgar's third wife. Oh. Khalifi. Khalifi. Uh, whom he married in uh, 10185. Uh, so this would have actually been the year he takes her in uh, kind of deal. Oh, wait, no. Uh, no. One, no. So it's five years after they take her in. I'm sorry. Okay. So they've had her for a while. He marries again. So he marries this girl, though, Khalifi, after defending his burda against her former mate, Jassal. Oh. So he kills Jassal. He gets Jassal's wife. Which because is just he, like they challenged uh, 
Him, yeah. Him. And he oh. kills him, so he gets his stuff, which just must have been like, oh, God damn. Like, three wives? I don't want to be rich. Like, <laughs> yeah. Guys, um, can we, like, cool it? But the great point Why is Why did that, he challenge Silgar? What? Why did he challenge Silgar? He must have felt like he was up for it. Oh, just like he just wanted to be leader. I yeah. thought I thought you had to. Uh... Well, like that's what I'm saying. He must have felt like he was up for it. Like he would have been a better leader if he challenged him. Oh, but didn't you say that they have under the pretense that uh, they think they're hurting the tribe? Right. Did, did he think that uh, Silgar was hurting the tribe in any that's way? What, what I'm telling you, I'm I'm, th- I'm wording it as like, I think he thinks he would have done better for the tribe than Stilgar could. Oh, and in turn, Stilgar's hurting the tribe. Like we could be here. You're keeping us here. I think I can make us do better. You're holding us back, essentially. In the way that Forod wasn't killing anyone. Right. He wasn't preventing anything. Or, or he was preventing their growth. Right, right. But, like, I, that's all is the only angle you put it. But other than that, I don't have any other clues for, like, why Jassal was that stupid. Okay. okay. Um, <laughs> either way, third wife, she loves Chaney, too, because Chaney is just really lovable. Uh, I like to imagine Jassal's like, hey, I'm going to go get that promotion. Goes, dies. Brooks there like, I'll just keep sweeping. I'll wait for another one. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'll go right after you, buddy. <laughs> the draws, draws. He's my new pider. He's such a backstory. Such a backstory. Like, except he's always sweeping. He's sweeping and scheming so That's far. That's calling. That's what I've heard so far. Sweeping. Sweeping and scheming. Brooms hey, within brooms within he brooms. He put up that one curtain. Yeah. <laughs> Did really good with the curtain. He was the first one to introduce uh, Paul to his new home. Uh, well, oh yeah, in, in this uh, chapter, yeah, yeah, we throw in some elbows. Yeah, you're totally right. Uh, now, like the rest of his people, Stilgar uh, greeted the transfer of Arrakis of the fife of Arrakis to House Atreides with cautious optimism. I'm jumping forward a little bit, uh, where we were just at, he was like, um. 44 when he married Khalifi. We're at 49 now. So we're one year away from the present. Okay. This is 101.90 is when the fight gets transferred. Uh, 49-year-old uh, Stilgar, now Naib, three wives, one, two, two kids. kids. Two grown kids. Yeah. One, like, kind of adopted child, essentially. Like, he gets rights to Cheney right, right. in some way. It's been a good life. Uh, and this new fife comes in. And true, the new leaders were off-worlders, like the Harkonnen beast, but heartening stories of the house's character had preceded their arrival. The Fremen decided to wait to see if the tales uh, had any truth to them before they judged the newcomers. Now, as far as Stilgar was concerned, the first proof came in the person of Duncan Idaho, swordmaster <gasps> for Duke Leto Atreides. Yeah! yeah. Idaho had been sent to uh, Sietch Tabar as Leto's representative to make contact with the Fremen and to assure them that the abuses suffered during the Harkonnen reign would now be ended. During his stay in Sietch, Idaho had adopted Fremen customs without question and had conducted himself honorably. After he had left to return to his duke, the Fremen heard about a plot to send Harkonnen mercenaries disguised as desert people against the Atreides. Because of the favorable impression Idaho had made, Stilgar dispatched a courier with a warning. Following shortly after, with a small band of men intent on seeing how the new soldiers would measure up as warriors. So, up at this point, Mike, that, we knew they were going to get ambushed. Yeah. And we're like, we're going to let them get ambushed. Because I need to see this kind of play out. Oh. They get a little bit of warning, but I want to watch this fight, right? Because I'm, I'm judging you guys. There's like a double little motivation right. here. I love and it. And Duncan goes ham. 
Well, there's a problem because the courier is uh, waylaid en route. Um, and basically, this disguised Fremen badly wooed him, right? Because mm-hmm. the whole point is that courier is the one whose body we bring back. Right. So the Harkonnens attacked Idaho, uh, but him and his men are able to rebuff him. And they kill all the Harkonnens and they're able to take any survivors prisoners. So we completely subdue it. Idaho found the courier and was taking him to the house medics when the man died. He took the body back to the Atreides headquarters, intending to bury him. Surprised that Stilgar and his men, who had joined him for the last part of the battle, because they were watching for the first part of the battle, uh, had not asked that the corpse containing the water of the tribe be given to them. Stilgar let this happen. He wanted to see this play out. Like, how are you going to handle this? Because this is my in right now. Right, right, right. Stilgar's reasons for accompanying Idaho were threefold. He wished to learn the manner of the man whom Idaho served so loyally. He was curious about how the Atreides would treat the body of the dead courier, Tuwak. The Harkonnens, it would know, showed no respect for the Fremen dead, not even to taking their water. And most important, he was compelled to see what Idaho intended to do with Turok's Krift's knife after having surprised the dying uh, Fremen in the act of throwing it away. So going into that mission, like all Stilgar had knew all that beforehand. It was letting Duncan like take this risk to be like, right. fuck it up. I dare you. <laughs> like, you know, you've learned a little bit, but like, <laughs> you think he was in the hallway the whole time. Just like, listen, like, okay. Okay. It's like, Hey, let's see that Chris stuff. Like, do not just shoot that blade. comes in. Like, now I got to come in. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like a hand to the ear, like listening yeah. in. Like, like I'm waiting for my cue. Waiting for my cue. <laughs> little cup. <laughs> yeah. Entirely. Yeah. There's a little play acting in uh, Stilgar <laughs> now that I'm seeing it. Um, on all counts, the naive was satisfied. After he had forbidden Idaho to unsheath the Chris knife, as he touched on, <laughs> uh, before the other uh, Atreides men, thereby defiling it in Stilgar's eyes, uh, he found that the Duke Leto not only refused to be provoked by the encroachment of his authority, but enforced the command. That's the point I think we touched on perfectly. Yeah. Where there was that back and forth between them. Stilgar was pushing his buttons. Yeah. It wasn't still, but no, but we did interpret it like Stilgar trying to retain his own. Right, right, right. No, no, it was just. He was just trying to see like. Snap. Yeah. Snap. Like, but no, Duke played it perfectly, Uh, which maybe even heightens how the Duke handled that situation. Maybe we didn't give him the credit he fully deserved. Like he nailed it perfectly and did exactly what Stilgar Hmm. wanted in a way. Okay. But like, and I think, yeah, no, 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 you're right. Yeah, yeah. Like, we got to, he was a little prideful of like, I'm not releasing fully, but I'll give you some respect. Like, right. No, you unexpectedly are the perfect man, Duke. Like, that's exactly what we needed. <laughs> when the Duke added that it was an Atreides custom always to pay their debts and inquired whether there were any other way to honor the man who had died in his service, Stilgar was enough impressed by the new ruler's behavior to favor him with a small, uh, a small five. A water tribute spat mm. on the table before Leto. <laughs> uh, obviously, the angry action of the Atreides, yeah. uh, who did not realize how Stilgar honored Leto, was checked when Idaho reminded them of how precious water was to the Fremen and thanked Stilgar for his gift, repeating the gesture himself. Stilgar then requests that Idaho, uh, you know, come and seek service, or um, that Idaho seek release from his service to the Duke and join the tribe. Leto, you know, he wants his emissary within the desert folk right. and uh, offers dual allegiance, which Stilgar does accept. Tuwok's water uh, would be Atreides' water in fair exchange for the water of Duncan Idaho. 
So that's why the steward leaves the corpse with the Atreides and they don't worry about the water because the Atreides bury him. Right. Like they let that happen yeah, because yeah. Duncan's water is theirs. That water, that yeah, was yeah, what yeah. that deal was. I don't think I grasped that. I didn't grasp that either. And I like that it spells out here. Uh, that I, Yeah. That letting that body be treated the Atreides way is like, well, the presumption is Duncan's going to be treated the Fremen way. And I think he was maybe. Well, uh, we, we didn't get, we I didn't, don't think so. We never really saw how that played out. Oh, wait, shit. I know how that played out. Sorry. What? <sighs> Book two, Mike. What? Literally. Yeah, yeah. We'll touch on that. Okay. Um, well, have you ever wondered where all the Duncan clones oh, come wait, from? I was going to say, so <laughs> du- does a Duncan clone remember it? Oh, yeah. Duncan clone will oh. remember it. Uh, eventually. Not, it's, a, it's a far down like God Emperor kind of thing. But, oh, my uh, God. Don't worry. Don't worry. Uh, we'll, but we'll touch on what happened to Duncan's body. That's what I can tell you about later. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because they'll they'll go back to be like, oh, this is how we got the Duncan cells. Um, <laughs> I guess you wouldn't need this. To... Yeah, 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 yeah. We yeah, do yeah. gotta like uh, round that corner a little bit, uh, sand that one down. So, in the the big year, Mike one hundred one ninety one, Dogar is fifty years. The Harkon and Sadokar attack on the Atreides has occurred, uh, and Stilgar receives an urgent command from Liet Kynes. The Duke was dead. And his concubine, Lady Jessica, had escaped with their son Paul into the desert. Duncan Idaho, who had returned to his duke at the first sign of trouble, had given his life as part of the price for that escape. Liet Kynes' life would be another part, although Stilgar could not have known it at the time. Stilgar was to take a band out from Sietchtabar to find them. True feminine that he was, Liet Kynes did not demand Stilgar save both mother and son. Should one or both of the pair not seem fit to survive among the Fremen, it was left to Stilgar to order uh, action appropriately for the good of the tribe. Oh. So, and anyway, we kind of cued on that too. Yeah. The little nuance of the note. I love that. Um, we had, I think we've had a pretty good analysis of this so far. Yeah, yeah. At least like tracking like, these that, points. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or based on. off of, I don't know which, uh, which specific author uh, did this one, but. Uh, it wasn't, it did have a note to it. So it wasn't Frank, but it okay. was some like, someone well, who, he definitely, well, I know, I know it wasn't Frank, but like, well, uh, I mean, he definitely would have to have talked to him though. To get like this much detail of like Stilgar's backstory. I feel like that had to have been okayed. Maybe. I think, yeah, the names you would have some freebies of, but some of the other stuff just like does track into like what Frank takes the story. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. Well, not like that, but, um, however, the decision, w- uh, the decision went that a man's honor had been met by, uh, by the attempt. From the first encounter with Jessica and Paul, Stilgar felt himself being pulled into a world larger than the one he knew, an environment where legend and reality were inseparably mixed. Now, pretty much brings me to the close of what I can tell you from the Stilgar article. That basically is the present. It goes on for a couple more pages. Ah! Um, It's sort of beyond where I feel comfortable. Like, we can't go past that. We can't go past it. I can skip forward a little bit, though, and I found uh, a little bit from uh, Irulan. Actually, that's an excerpt. Of course Uh, it's from Irulan. So I felt this was appropriate to read towards you. Uh, And so this is just a description of Stilgar, essentially, that would have been recorded uh, from... It's from the book Conversations with Moadib by the Princess Irulan. Stilgar was a tall man well over two meters, and appeared to tower over his brethren. A history of success in combat, some of it costly, was evidenced by scars old and new which covered much of his body. He possessed in large measure the mercurial temperament characteristic of Fremen, 
He could turn from consoling an injured child as tenderly as a woman, uh, in, as tenderly as a woman in his sketch, to ruthlessly hunting an enemy's blood with his Chris knife without visible wretch. And he was equally skilled at both. Ooh. That's our Stilgar. And that is all I can officially tell you. Oh, we're going to go over the rest ben of this once we finish. Safrawi. Uh, or is this I, a couple books in the future? Uh, well, I don't want to tell you how far Stilgar uh, spreads over, but like definitely by the end of the book, we can we can go over the rest of it if there's like uh, stuff to catch up on. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. We got to do him. Uh, I got Lady Jessica for you. Um, any any character that kind of makes the Baron. I know we had a few more points for. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there's so many characters that yeah. Okay. I, I stopped my biographies a little ways through, pretty much at the Arakeen crisis. And, gotcha. Uh, let the whatever happens. We'll have after to have a point. redacted episode where it's like all the stuff you couldn't tell me. <gasps> yeah, yeah. I would I would love that because <laughs> it happens way too often. Yeah. Oh, weird. Um, well, that's crazy how that happens. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> You have any any questions on Stilgar? Anything else you want to know about him? No, I mean I think that was everything. That was pretty sweet. Uh, I'm really glad we got to go through that. Then uh, wait, how are? They, oh, I can also tell when you. When uh, uh, is it just what people can carry on them? Say it again. When uh, Fremen moves the etches, is it just what they can carry on them? <laughs> I don't. Yeah, it must be something like that. Okay. I mean, because I was gonna think, do you just like deposit all the water into, um. The cave of riches and oh, then like you take wouldn't, like water uh, coins. No, no, I don't think you would take your. I don't think you would move water like that. You would take your water rings. Okay. With how we discussed how we think water rings work, right, right, right. I think you would take the water rings. We're only moving the water because we're leaving the CH. Right. And we know the Sadokar are coming. Right, but they're not going to be able to move the water in the cave of riches at all. I mean, I think that's what they're doing. They're do that. How are they going to move that? They can't carry that all. Uh, well, I just saw a line of people move out with gurgling sacks, Mike. So what else do you want me to infer from that? I don't know. I think they are. Maybe there's like a worm U-Haul or something. Well, you know they can ride worms. They can worm. Is there just going to be like giant saddlebags on this I, bad boy? I don't know. I mean, I agree. <laughs> I agree. It's like, it's so, it seems like such a logistical clusterfuck that like, how do you pull this off? But like, do we see it happen? We did. That, we did. <laughs> that's what, that's how that, it that's explains like, that, it. That, that, like. That's, that's all. a Gil Highlander ride yeah, to Arrakis yeah. right there. No, no, I agree. There's some volume questions I have. Um, <laughs> there's some bags of holding involved. You I go into like the, the sciences and nuances of making foam in the desert, yep. but not how to fucking move what? Like yeah, and, several hundreds of gallons of water. I mean, Mike, I stopped you for a Faraday cage today. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I got nothing for how we move water. Okay. <laughs> I think it is just as uh, strange. but uh, You know what that means? What, what is that? It's time for Gurney, Gurney, Gurney. <gasps> I love a little Gurney, Gurney, Gurney. A little Gurney, Gurney, Gurney. Every week, Derek, I bring you three different Gurneys and one quote. I need your help to figure out which Gurney wore it best. I, I'm here to help, Mike. Whatever I can do. Excellent. Uh, I'm pretty happy with this one. Your three choices, as always, Gurney Halleck, Troubadour Warrior. Ooh, perfect. James Gurney, famed author and artist of Danatopia. I'm still waiting for him to come back around. I really <laughs> thought he was last week yeah, or like did. two weeks I ago. Gotcha. <laughs> Ivor Gurney, English war poet and composer. Ooh, now, Mike, I got a little Ivor Gurney fact. Before you throw an Ivor Gurney <gasps> fact out there, I got an Ivor Gurney fact. Uh. I was looking through the uh, beginning of his book. Again, I can't read the poems. I understand. Do you know who he dedicated his book to? No. Well, 
he dedicated it to only one person and then followed it with, uh, I wish I could dedicate it to everyone, but then I would have to write 40 books and 40 different dedications and we're all the better for me not doing that. Um, <laughs> That's just not a nice way of saying it. Was, like, it was a really like tongue in cheek kind of thing the whole way through, but it's basically for one person and for Gloucester. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, oh. Uh, that was like the funny bit. There was one serious bit that prompted this whole thing, and I'm glad I just remembered it. He wrote all of his poems in French, and they were translated to English. And he says, "I hope that apologizes for any like roughness in it." So, oh. yeah, all of those were in French. He wrote them during the war. Like he says, while bombs are going right. off, essentially, right, uh, and then they get translated back to English. But uh, again, why he credits Gloucester is like he just says, "I was always thinking of how beautiful Gloucester was." That's what got oh, me that's through. That's inspiration. So. Well, that's oh. what got him through the war. Yeah, in a way, like oh, thinking damn. the beauty of home. So that's my little Ivor Gurney. Ivor Gurney, man. All right, are you ready for this one? Oh yeah. All right, let's do it. Okay. Had I a song, I would sing it here, four-lined, square-shaped, utterance dear. But since I have none, will regret in verse, before the power is gone, might be worse, might be worse. Okay, can you, can you read that one more time? Sure. A little, a little, give me a little slower, Kate. Sure, sure. Uh, I can try and break it up uh, for you. Sure, uh, up until the uh, the four-by-four thing. Sure. That uh, stuck out to me. All right, I'll, I'll do it again. I'll just do the whole thing. Had I a song, I would sing it here. Four-lined, squared-shaped, utterance dear. But since I have none, will regret in verse. Before the power's gone, might be worse. <sighs> All right, I want to I wanna rule James out. Jane, oh, Jane, okay. Dinotopia. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we're saying sorry, bud. I, again, I don't, think, I don't think it's you. Gotcha. I am split. So evenly between my Gurney Halleck and my Ivor Gurney. Yeah. You, and I mean, um, it's been so often you've gotten those two like mixed up. Yeah. Dude, his, some of those songs are just like, yeah, you know what, Gurney, <laughs> I got to give it to you. You're not a King James ripoff uh, <laughs> or a King, some, King James cover band. Yeah. Uh, you got some originals. Got some originals um, there. And I, but I, I want to, no, it was Gurney Halleck last time, wasn't it? Uh oh, I forget. Right, <laughs> it was probably better that you don't tell me. We had a Thanksgiving break and everything's just like yeah, yep, all left field. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of think I want to go with um, I feel like I just slurred my words there. Uh, Ivor Gurney, in the the power verse part, kind of strikes me. Um, where that reminds me of uh, wasn't there one like um, so like toward a shoreline that ended up being him. Oh yeah, yeah, like a, a scorched seaweed kind of thing. That one was Gurney. That one, that one was that, that was, was yeah. That was real Gurney, like yeah. pure, pure mainline and some Gurney Halleck. Yeah. <laughs> you can't trick me twice, Mike. <laughs> uh, but but put me in, put me Ivor Gurney. I just feel like I got some sing song. Ooh, you know what? Oh, there's a little incongruence that might be French translated to English. Maybe that's what I'm. Oh. That's what I'm picking up on. You think so? Maybe. I hope. I fucking hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, your intuition was right, Derek. Yes! Ivor Gurney. Oh, perfect. And it is called Had I a Song. Had, uh, dude. You know, uh, I think my favorite one from his still is that one where uh, he stole the song, gave it to the girl, just to like win her over for the night, and then like yeah. regrets it evermore. Just like, goddamn, that one still sticks with me. Uh, 
I, I just, I love how it's, uh, it says like, Hey, if I had like even just a small little like stanza, I would sing it right now, but it's probably just representative of how terrible things are around him right now. Mm -hmm. Just anything to sort of like either take his mind off things or help cheer him up. But since I have none, well, regret in verse because I don't have a song to sing. How cool is that? It's really good. Yeah. It's pretty good. I, like, I regret in verse. He's, he's good with words, dude. Yeah, dude. Good this guy's good. I I bet he had the best, like, uh, combat troop of at least, like, you just listen to Ivor at night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what did you write today, Ivor? Like, fucking A, man. <laughs> <laughs> Sing something. Tell us of Gloucester, Uso. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about the waters of Gloucester, Ivor. <laughs> oh, I love it. That That's a fantastic, uh, good gunny game, Mike. But yeah, that was a good one. I know we, game is for the quote. But I'm here for the bonus gurney. Yeah, I, I think I really like turned you on to the bonus gurneys here. This is a good one. We're actually going to go into another fictional gurney. Uh, oh, so, so you don't just even, like our gurney. You don't, you're out of gurneys, Mike. Are you reading bottom of the barrel? No, I have more gurneys. <laughs> okay. There's the pharmacologist gurney. <laughs> I got more gurneys on no, here. The famous pharmacologist. But I thought this was cool. So this is a, a character named gurney. It's a like, character named gurney. In, in what? In a uh, play, actually. Okay. A 1968 British play by Peter Barnes, called The Ruling Class. Is Peter Barnes a name I should know? Uh, I mean, he's an award-winning playwright and screenwriter. Uh, I don't think I do, then. Oh, right. uh, I, didn't, I didn't know if it was something more prominent that there was something He did work. a lot of theater plays. It's a big one. But I mean, uh, like, theater, some, theater's totally not my thing, so I don't think I would have like overlapped in that manner. Yeah, no, I mean, he did some like 1980s uh, radio plays as well. I mean, like maybe I didn't. Let it, I didn't listen to a lot of British radio plays from the eighties. <laughs> so. You know, they didn't come in on the AM. Yeah, let's see here. Uh, let me try and find a film that you might know. Yeah, all right, but let's go. Let's go on with your gurney here. All right, I want to see what this gurney in this play is like. So, so wait. So it's obviously you're not going to have like a bio biography for me. Like, what what are we talking about here for this gurney? All right. Ooh, wait, wait. Hold. Did you just learn this gurney is real? No, just, I, I was just looking at some of his uh, his final works. Oh, okay. Um, Maybe some a little contemporary for like Hallmark our lifetime. adaptation of A Christmas Carol. You know, the worst part is I probably did. Wait, what year is it? Is it like 96? 99. <laughs> I probably yeah, did I think we see watched that. That, <laughs> uh, that the, would totally be like a he, sick at he home. Looks during... like he, it looks like towards the end he did a lot of Hallmarks. There's Alice in Wonderland on Hallmark. Uh, Arabian Nights by Hallmark. Okay, like I don't like I don't know if you're feeling like you're you're um, kind it of looks like he disparaging just, him with your hallmark. There. No, he did the screenplays for a lot of like uh, famous books. Yeah, on a well, on a notably underfunded uh, shitty program. Yeah, <laughs> like the hallmark is not known for their production value. <laughs> um, but props to him. Uh, hmm. Cool. Yeah, but uh, he did this one, uh, this play called The Ruling Class, and it's uh, it's a dark comedy. Okay, that, um, I guess that's appropriate for the ruling class. Yeah, yeah, that's what I want it to be. So it's a dark comedy that centers on. <gasps> wait, 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 is Gurney in the ruling class or is he in it and outside of it? Oh, do you want to take a guess? Stab in the dark right now. I obviously am going to say in and outside of it. Outside of it. Wait, is he a musician? How Gurney is this fucking Gurney? He's not Keep a going. musician. Okay, okay. This is a good Gurney name. Jack Arnold Alexander Tancred Gurney. I'm going to need that second to last one. I, I saw a bunch of normals, and then we got this really... <laughs> Tancred. <laughs> Tancred? Tancred. Okay. Jack Arnold Alexander Tancred Gurney, the 14th Earl of Gurney. Of? The Earl of Gurney? <laughs> the Earl of Gurney. Damn, okay. 
And uh, oh, it's about- but but it's a fictional gurney. God, I'm getting really <laughs> excited for a fictional gurney. There is no Earl of Gurney, is there? No. Damn it! Well, there might be. I don't think there is though. I, just, I was really just living in this world. But it's like a weird like uh, combination of Hamlet and uh, attempts to cure him of insanity. Wait, wait. attempts? Oh, so it's ha- wait. My recollection of Hamlet is a power hungry uncle. Is that the something wicked this way comes? When the trees? No, like- that's Macbeth. Okay, I mean, it's, that's they're both Shakespeare. You got that? Yay. <laughs> uh, yeah. What's what's Hamlet then? I know that's to be or not to be. Hamlet is when he uh, he sees the ghost of his father mm-hmm. who, like died and just like oh it was your uncle that killed me. It's like oh my uncle's a bastard. But you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna make him feel guilty. Come clean about this. I'm gonna put on a little play for him and like uh, the play's basically just about like his uncle killing his dad and just like isn't that familiar? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. You know what's gonna be like make you feel silly though? Uh, the Lion King is pretty much just Hamlet. No, I I understand yeah. that that actually no. Yeah. Uh, like several Disney films are like that, right? Where it's just like that one specifically was a Shakespearean ripoff. Yeah. But yeah, so wait, I don't recall Simba putting on a play where <laughs> his dad is killed by his uncle. No, but the, the over- yeah, no, no. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, but like the yeah, ghost yeah. of his father. Ah, yeah. and Amorte, and it's all coming it's together. Coming back to Dune. <laughs> Her, her, her interpretation of Dune. The, the, say, the proper. That one's, that one's a loose connection. But I do have two other connections to bring up there. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to take credit for that one. All right. So, again, uh, about Jack Arnold Alexander Tancred Gurney, the 14th Earl of Gurney. I'm just going to read the entire sort of like plot and synopsis of this play. If anyone has not seen this play and wants to, then just stop listening right now because this is going to be a big spoiler. Yeah. What are you doing? Uh, I got the poster for it. I'm looking at it right now. Oh. It's this guy making this weird hand gesture. Over his head. It's the ruling like, class. It's like you're making like this weird Sorry, sort of like. I, I tried to search Earl of Gurney, and it just brings up your fucking play. <laughs> so keep going. Yeah. So I begin the plot. After a speech at a dinner proposing a toast to England, the 13th Earl of Gurney, Gurney's dad. Okay. Yep. Papa Gurney is got ready for bed by his butler Tucker. This includes setting up a silken noose above his four-poster, which the Earl uses for a bizarre autoerotic asphyxiation ritual. He survives <laughs> this the first time, but it all goes wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know what it doesn't say there? Is it all went right the first time, <laughs> but okay. It all goes wrong the second time, and it kills him. He pulls a David Carradine. <laughs> Things are rough. His half-brother, Sir Charles, comes over. Sir Charles's wife, Lady Clare, and their son, Dinsdale, uh, gather together to hear the reading of the 13th Earl's Will. I wanted to put uh, Dinsdale is a space name, but it's like a dweeb. <laughs> like, that's the kid you pick on on the space highlander. Yeah, we're going to start the rocket ship now. Yeah, Dinsdale. Um, that's the last we're going to hear of Dinsdale. Good. <laughs> so, turns out that three of the Earl's sons have already died overseas in the British Empire. Okay. Uh... The Earl Gurney, the 13th. Three of his sons have already died. Yeah. But he's got one son left alive. Okay. I was like, is there, is, I didn't know if there was any significance. I should cling to the three dead sons. I'm like, well, <laughs> surely Gurney's alive. One survivor, mm-hmm. Jack Gurney. Jack. So, Jack Gurney, last survivor. But here's the thing Jack is in a mental institution and thought to be unable to be present. I, I hate my, I keep forgetting this is a play. <laughs> I'm just like, this is the best story ever. <laughs> Keep going. Yeah. 
He's been diagnosed with as a paranoid schizophrenic, prone to delusions of grandeur, caused or worsened by his time at a boarding school. Okay. I think like, I have the name of the boarding school, too. Okay. Is it something irrelevant? Uh, it might be. All right. Let's okay. find out. What, and do you know what his delusions of grandeur are? Oh, we'll get there. <laughs> okay. okay. We'll get there. Eton College. Sure. It's like a really prestigious boarding school. It's like the... the like uh, the equivalent of like Yale or something or Harvard. Okay. Going back onto Gurney. The 13th Earl? Or the 14th Earl? Uh, he would be the 14th Earl. So we're going, we're going on, continuing with this so, Gurney, yes. Yeah, he's not there. He's, you know, in a mental institution, but he is the only heir technically. Okay, it happens. But it's all right. He's not there. He's at a mental institution. It won't be a big deal. Let me tell you about why he's in the institution. I would love to know why he's in the institution. So I told you these delusions of grandeur were worsened by his time at boarding school or Mm -hmm. maybe even caused by it. It's uh, he felt abandoned and victimized. Okay. Oh, this is like a tragic comparison to our normal gurney being like dark comedy abducted. Well, no, I'm saying the parallels of him being abducted by the Harkonnens. Oh yeah. And this guy going to this boarding school. Oh, okay. Making more parallels there. Trying to. Um, they believe it as a subconscious defense against such abandonment. He developed a delusion that he was Jesus Christ returned to bring and embody love so that people would have to love him in order to find peace and salvation. I, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> he thinks it's Jesus. His Jesus plan was very different than what my Jesus plan would have been. So he's just the embodiment of love. So everyone should love him. Yeah. Because he feels abandoned. Right, right. No, I know. But I th- it's a strange line to make a beeline, and that's why you should love me, because well, I'm Jesus. Well, everyone loves Jesus, so Not I, I'm everyone, Jesus. Mike. If you don't love me, then, you know. He was murdered. <laughs> Clearly, some people didn't he love him. He came back in the sequel. That's true. True. It's a great sequel. <laughs> it's a great sequel. <laughs> First Black Friday. Jesus 2 AD. <laughs> 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 so, I, I like the delusion the grandeur. <laughs> I, I digress. So, I don't see a flaw in this plan. So, yeah, I mean, the, that's why he's in the institution. So, the reading of the will goes on. Mm-hmm. Besides the uh, 30,000, uh, was his pounds? Yeah, pounds. Left to uh, Tucker, the butler. <laughs> Very suspicious. <laughs> Very suspicious. <laughs> his name's Tucker. <laughs> Tucker, the butler. Butler Tucker. And, uh, oh, that sounds very strange. But... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't roll off the tongue. Butler Tucker. Butler Tucker. I'm going to have to watch this after this today. And other requests to different eccentric charities of Gurney's Choice. Uh, the relations are all shocked to hear that the 13th Earl has left his title and estates not to Charles, Tucker. but to Jack. Oh, wait, Jack. wait, who the fuck is Charles? Charles is the half brother of the 13th Earl. You, wait. Did you slip that in past me? No, it was the first thing I said. Oh, I thought you said the three, bro- three were dead. His half-brother, Sir Charles, Charles's wife, Lady Clare, and their son, Dinsdale, gathered to hear the reading of the 13th Earl's will. Oh, okay. you know what? I'm sorry. Dinsdale took me on that one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. was it. Okay, sorry. So and three. So of- the, the three other brothers are dead. The half-brother's there as no, the th- only sane one. No, no, no. Three of the Earl's sons are dead. Right, the three other brothers of Gurney. Okay, yeah, gotcha. Sorry, I see what you're saying. Yeah, because okay. I'm talking from the perspective of this guy. Gotcha, all right. Same page. Same page. So he left it all to Jack to make Jack Gurney the 14th Earl. Wait, now why is this surprising? Jack is the only actual He's the son. Heir. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess, I guess he would be same dad, right? I guess the mom is different. So the half-brother could be an heir too if it's from the dad. Which it must be. Maybe. If he's there for the will. You don't know that for sure, though. 
I'm pretty sure if the step your stepdad dies, he doesn't leave you a lot of shit, right? <laughs> Wouldn't that be a normal thing? Probably, but like, but okay, yeah, it's hard to say. I'm not quite sure. I mean, he probably. No, thought, I'll give you the insane asylum throws a wrench. Right, in the I bet plan. Charles did think he was going to get the. Uh, sure, that's why he's there. And you and brought actually, his wife yeah, and the stupid exactly. kid. Exactly. Yeah. So you're right. It was by last name. So uh, they both share the the name Gurney. So Sir Charles Gurney, Sir Lady, or uh, Lady. Claire Sir Lady Gurney. Sir Lady Gurney. <laughs> Lady Claire Gurney. Yeah, just kind of wild. And guess what? Jack arrives. Jack Gurney comes on into the will. And he uh, he asks for a moment of prayer. I'm sorry. Wait. Jack is in the room now? Yeah, Jack come bust into the room. Jack Gurney's here. So Jack, like Stogar, is waiting for his cue. Yeah, like, Did exactly. it? Did it? it? Ah! Ah, it's me along. <laughs> Now I know you might be asking, how did I get out of the insane asylum? <laughs> like, excuse me, I just need a moment of prayer here. What do you think a moment of prayer means to Jack? You think Jack pees in the corner? I don't, I don't <laughs> even know. No, wait, wait, does he sing a song? <laughs> no, well, Jack believes he's Jesus Christ. So ah, shit. his prayer actually turns into a conversation with himself, <laughs> thinking that he is Jesus and God. Now I want to watch this movie. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> so, he comes in. Guys, I need a second. Jack, are we doing okay, Jack? Like, I think it's going to be all right. I really want Can to, you like, believe Jack, you what Papa left us? <laughs> we're going to be okay, Jack. Yeah, we're going to be great, Jack. <laughs> Charles Gurney is not okay with this. Mm-mm. No, but he's discovered a loophole. <laughs> Wait, I don't know whose side I'm on, but <laughs> sure, what's the loophole in Charles? There's so many, it's just so many Gurneys at it. This, yeah. I guess Dinsdale's last name would be Gurney too, wouldn't it? But I know I'm not on Dinsdale. <laughs> team Dinsdale is not the team I'm joining. I'm going to go on Sir Lady Gurney first. <laughs> Sir Lady Gurney, okay. So here's the loophole. That if Jack can be sent to the, back to the insane asylum somehow, okay. as soon as he's been married, has gotten a sane heir, he's out of the picture, now the heir takes over, and then Charles can sort of like be the aid and advisor and guide to this new Gurney. Oh, man, everybody has such shitty plans. Yeah, um, it's not a so great So wait, one. his plan is to just move Jack's life along until he's a normal person <laughs> and then put him back in the insane asylum? Yeah, pretty much. And then just be a regent? Well, he's got it. Basically, the plan is to do this as, like, uh, as quickly as possible. Let's find Jack Gurney a wife. Let's okay, get... okay, I guess, so is the consensus that, like, send, you can't just send Jack back to the insane asylum because he already has the you, inheritance? Uh, yeah. You, you need to move that inheritance down to take it? Is that yeah, what and, we want to get at? plus he's out of the insane asylum. I don't know how he got out okay, exactly. That was going to be the next one, but, uh, yeah. A part of me thinks he broke up, but at the I've same time... I've accepted the fact I'm not getting that answer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then we're just I think we got to watch the movie. <laughs> just him coming with a bloody knife? I'm here. <laughs> I got it. So if he can get him back to the insane asylum, as soon as he's gotten a sane heir... That's fine. Jack, though, he's like, that. can't do that. I'm already married. Who do you think he's married Let to? Let alone him, Jesus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mary Magdalene. No, it's it. La Dame al Camelias. Okay, second guess. <laughs> Where did she come from? Is she even real? <laughs> he insists that she is a real person oh, and not a fictional character. Okay, Mike, I think like uh, Edmund, Edmund Gurney, I'm picking up on how the story works. <laughs> uh, La Dame al Camelias is also just another play. Is, what? That what this guy wrote the same uh, writer, uh, or what do you mean? No, it's by uh, Alexander Dumas. Oh, so it's just like uh, an illusion. Yeah, pre- this is all in his head. Yeah, 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 pretty much. That's also where the name. Uh, no, no, I don't mean like illusion. I mean like a illusion, like uh, referring to a historical. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, kind of it a is. Motif. exactly. Yeah, 
Charles has a plan though. It's like we got it. We got to find him a lady. We got to somehow sort this out. Maybe we can trick him into thinking like, "Oh, here's your wife, Ladam." Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So Charles has had a long time mistress. <laughs> okay, Charles, moving back up to first place. <laughs> His plan just became ingenious. Charles Gurney has had a longtime mistress, Grace Shelley. Mm-hmm. She arrives. She's in on a plan. She arrives in disguise as Ladam, and Jack agrees to her weird request wait, for it. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Hold on, hold on. Why, why is she okay with this? Does the wife know about that this woman's being brought into the plan? I, I, again, I don't no know. Question. Okay, I, There's sorry. some details that just elude me here. Carry on. So she arrives in disguise as Ladam, and Jack <laughs> agrees to her odd request for a second wedding. Yeah, because they're already married. It's like, why don't we just do it again for old time's sake? Um, also so- recalled renewing your <laughs> vows, but okay. Exactly. So Jack, uh, Jack already agrees. Uh, this goes ahead, but there's a twist. Oh, God. Do we think, what do you think the twist is? Okay. The twist this time, it's got to do something, I think, with the priest, right? Because who's going to like officiate uh, the wedding? Uh, I think Gurney somehow gets in front of Charles on the planning thing. and. I don't know what he does, but he, he's got to offset his plan. Not the case. No? It turns you... out that Grace actually falls in love with Jack and becomes his ally in this entire ordeal. And she's like, you know what? No. I'm going to help you become the 14th, stay the 14th Earl. Okay. Okay. So I'm, she... uh, I'm neutral on Grace just because <laughs> I don't know what she came into the picture with. Like... Yeah. Grace sort of just came in like a hurricane. <laughs> yeah. Um, she conceives a child by him, and despite... Wait, Okay. Yeah, this plan this, takes nine months minimum. No, this sentence just, like, eludes me. Grace falls in love with Jack and becomes his ally. She also conceives a child by him, despite him spending their wedding night on a unicycle. Oh, well, Mike, I mean, that's well known for crushing balls. Uh, <laughs> so, how he's not just completely um, sterile, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's like a odd. fucking wild wedding yeah. night, though. Yeah, that's weird. But you know what? Yeah. We're going to keep on this plan that Charles has. His wife, Lady Claire, decides to also become an obstructive force and begins an affair with Jack's psychiatrist, Herder, to try and persuade him to cure Gurney more quickly. Make Sort of make this happen. Oh, she doesn't know how psychiatry works. No, no not at no. all. <laughs> that's, that's not how that works, lady. So uh, just, uh, uh, I guess, the uh, within the Gurneys... Uh, that are the half gurneys, if you will, with yep. Charles and the Gurns, <laughs> the Gurns and uh, Claire. Like they're both, they just both have like side honeys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I assume it works. Apparently, uh, I think they're just. The it's partner. all part of the master plan. Yeah, they're partners. It, Herder attempts to achieve this. Herder's convinced, like, oh, Lady Claire. He attempts to achieve this through intensive psychotherapy, which doesn't work. <laughs> nope, nope. And then when this fails, resorts to shock therapy. Now that might work. <laughs> might work. Uh, they'll, they'll and it's trick. on the same night that Grace goes into labor with the new heir. <gasps> no, what, Mike? But everything's coming together everything's at once. Everything's coming together. Now, here's a weird thing. This consists of bringing in another patient into this shock therapy. Why? Because this patient also believes himself to be Jesus Christ, or as the patient put it, the God of electricity. <laughs> Okay, okay, yeah, I see why you brought him in. <laughs> I'm like, fuck it, two for one. So Jack's having a bad time of this. He's getting electrocuted. He's got this other Jesus that's going, I'm oh, Thor, God of Thunder. They don't bond? No. Uh, in fact, this actually uh, draws Jack to the conclusion that they both cannot be Jesus Christ. And he has a very apparent breakdown. And after a while, 
returns to his true identity as Jack Gurney. They did it. They cured him. Okay. okay. Jack, Jack Gurney is no longer Jesus, which I guess means that the plan failed. I mean, the plan, I think, stopped a long time ago. And I think everybody's just making plans. I don't think there is a plan. I think everyone's got a different plan. Well, it's weird because Sir Charles wanted to send him back to the asylum. That was that was what yeah. I understood as the overarching goal yeah, of what yeah, everyone yeah. did. For everyone fucking everybody, but it I was guess, all to get him back in, like, insane asylum. But I guess to, you know, mess him up even more and, like, you know, give him, like, rush treatment that won't really work, they accidentally cured him. Right. By just bringing in a second Jesus. Charles, you fucked up. <laughs> We should have just gone to church. You didn't need to do any of the other stuff except bring in the second Jesus. Sir Charles panics, okay, he, but he's still intent on stealing the lordship, so he's going to send for a court psychiatrist to evaluate Gurney. Got to okay. get this settled. Uh, he's confident that his nephew is still going to be sent to the asylum for life because, like, he's still got to be crazy after all of that. No one could be sane after that. Sure. Jack, though, he... Uh, wait, wait, I'm sorry. You called him his nephew? Yeah. Half-brother of his dad. Mike, I told you, Hamlet, his uncle. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry. I got. I thought he was a half brother of Gurney. No, 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 wanting no, no. to get the inheritance. You see, that's yeah. why I thought we were making a distinction of the brothers and the half brother. Gotcha. All right. So, uh, Jack, he's doing fine. Sure. He's I, like, yeah. He even has a conversation. With how the does? Site. Wait. So, does he remember everything? Yeah. Okay. He even. Uh, so he had a. He was in a fugue state, so to speak. I guess. But uh, he even, like, has a little good bit of a conversation with the psychiatrist and plays on the fact that the uh, psychiatrist and him went to the same boarding school. They're both fellow Etonians in college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And the psychiatrist is like, this guy's sane. He's good. What the fuck? They do what? a little fist bump. I don't know. <laughs> Jack Gurney's in the clear. Psychiatrist is like, I'm out. Yeah, Wait, no. Is it possible that the psychiatrist is crazy? Maybe. I don't think. Is the whole point of the story that Edin, like, whatever that school was, breaks everybody? I don't think anyone had a medical license. (laughs) Oh, maybe it is a cautionary tale of Edin College. I I think it is. I think the whole moral of the story, Edin College breaks people. We need to shut down Edin College now. I I feel like I also might be, like, (laughs) pronouncing it incorrectly. It's either Eaton or Edin. Oh, I think it's Eaton. It's probably Eaton. I think it is. Uh, so, but, sorry, anyone. Yeah, we it's, it's it's Spice World. It's across the pond. Yeah. And we still have some little grudges with England. <laughs> <laughs> enemy, the original enemy, Mike. Our original <laughs> enemy. Um, uh, so, Charles is just uh, shut out of luck. Wait, but, so, we're, so Charles, everyone's just fine at the end? He yeah. Just, he just doesn't have money? Well, let me get to the final act here. Oh, uh, we got a little epilogue? We have a well, yeah, very big epilogue. Oh. <clears throat> we have a moment here, a little bit of a monologue from Jack, who turns to the audience in this play. And uh, Jack reveals to the audience that he has not been cured, but instead switched believing that he is both the Old Testament god of vengeance and Jack the Ripper. That electroshock therapy did a number on him. Nice. He's just been putting up a front this whole time. He's got to be incognito. Now a violent psychopath with a puritanical hatred of women, Gurney murders Sir Charles's wife in a fit of enraged revulsion when she tries to seduce him and frames Tucker the butler, still working for the family, for this crime. Well, you know, Tucker, <laughs> he did kind of, uh, you know, he had an axe to grind. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, that happened. Um, yeah. And then Jack. Yeah. Jack the Ripper in question so, marks. So, wait, the wife is dead? Um, of Charles. Of Charles. Charles. So his aunt. Oh, wait, Charles is still alive? Lady Claire, yeah. So, so Charles is still alive. Wait, and he only framed the butler. 
Yeah, it's the butler's fault. It's not so his. Charles is still fine. Yeah. Does he do anything to Charles? I don't think so. Mike, this is like that. Hey, no, he, he's got a puritanical hatred of women, not his uncle. Oh, okay, sorry. He's Jack the Ripper, baby. That's so fucked up. That is really fucked up. That reminds me of that Curse of Ham, where like, <laughs> he had nothing to do with anything. <laughs> he was just the butler. Charles is the one who fucked you over. So finally, uh, Jack then assumes his place as the 14th Earl in the House of Lords with a fiery speech in favor of capital and corporal punishment. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> You've earned it. That night, Grace admits her love for him, and he murders her for it. Yep. Uh, yep. End play. <laughs> Why does he become a psychopath who hates women? He rode the lightning for way too long. Who wrote that play? That was uh, by Peter Barnes. Oh, man. Red flag. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say, for anyone in your ooh, life, ooh. somebody should have lied, taken you to a psychiatrist after that one. Uh, let me give you a, a little history here, which will be nice. and bring it sort of full, full circle to the desert here. The play premiered at the Nottingham Playhouse in 1968 with the lead role played by Peter O'Toole. No shit. Peter O'Toole, I think you've already mentioned, plays uh, T.E. Lawrence in Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, I don't think I mentioned that he I did. Mention- I, no, I mentioned the connection of Lawrence of Arabia to it. I don't know if I brought up the movie because ah. I've uh, never watched the movie the whole way through. Oh, I, gotcha. I watched. I tried to watch a little bit. I didn't really enjoy it. Right. Uh, it didn't take to me. So T.E. Lawrence, who wrote the Seven Pillars of Wisdom, mm-hmm. and is just one of the figures of inspiration, kind of for like the Paul Moadib figure of like exactly. uh, the and white savior kind of coming. We into keep referring the to him, East. especially with the uh, Goldsworthy Gurney uh, helped to form Malay. Yeah, there's like a lot of the uh, gorilla tactics were formed and written and yeah. formulated by T.E. Lawrence. Lawrence. Correct. So uh, Peter O'Toole played T.E. Lawrence in Lawrence of Arabia. I thought that was just a fun little like bring it full circle. That is really cool. Just to touch it all together. Yeah. But I got another one. Yeah. Another like Dune connection. Yeah. So uh, besides Peter O'Toole acquiring the film rights and starring in the film adaptation as well, which we can totally check out. Ooh. Oh, of uh, the play? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he did both. It was revived in 1983, and then again at uh, 2015. It was directed by James Lloyd, and the lead role for Jack Gurney, guess who took that on? Wait, wait, wait. Uh, what year is this? Uh, 2015, a few years back. Was it Timothy Chalamet? James McAvoy. Oh! Bringing it back to Dune. Another Dune, okay, okay. So you have to, like... Do something Dune related, and then you go work on this fucking <laughs> fucked up play about yeah. this psychopath. I got it. I got it. And uh, James McAvoy received Best Actor honor at the 2015 Evening Star. Wait, Standard. and he played the lead role. Yeah, I'm Crazy a- Gurney. I think I want to watch that one more than the Peter O'Toole. Well, this was a play, so I don't think we probably, do probably that. not like a recording of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he uh, he won Best Actor honor at the 2015 Evening Standard Theater Awards for his performance. Cool. So that's your bonus gurney for this week. I can't believe they still do that play. Yeah, is that wild? <laughs> <laughs> does, does not keep up with the times. No, I mean, uh, that fourth act, I would have a lot of questions. <laughs> of, uh, excuse me, uh, what the fuck just happened? Um, I would actually really love to watch that, though. I'm super pumped I'm about curious. it. I'm, I wonder, like, maybe there's some continuity that would, like, once you see it, you go, oh, okay. well, I think there's a lot of details yeah, that, like, yeah, fill in the little, gaps there. Little things that connect it that, that yeah, we're missing but, uh, in our brief synopsis. I was reading the plot. I'm just like, this is just too, like, out there. I have to share this. That Yeah, that's awesome to get a little... A little Doom connection to Indeed. Adamant. Did not hurt at all. So, uh, Jack Arnold Alexander Tancred Gurney, 14th Earl of Gurney. Fake. 
fake? Just because he's not real, and I'm gonna <laughs> the <laughs> I'll, fictional I'll gurney. Get that part otherwise. Is that a faux gurney? Faux gurney. Faux gurney. Faux gurney. That's awesome. That is a great gurney, Mike. Uh, thank you so much for that one. You're welcome. I loved that. <laughs> uh, I think it's time for everyone's favorite little moment here because uh, you know I haven't seen in a while. Who is this that? little guy? Hey! Doesn't even surprise me anymore. <laughs> Come on down here, Giovanni. Get you a little wine, buddy. How you been? You've had some time off too. You look a little fatter. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no offense. Uh, but Mike, let me put the little ED tube here. I got, oh, I got two messages that came in. Ooh, tell me. just trans. Uh, the first one came in through our Instagram. This is like actually just got mentioned in a story. I just wanted to bring it up. Um, it's from uh, Gross Ferratu is the name, uh, <laughs> Kenneth Nichols, the guy who does the oil paintings. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I don't know if you've seen this on like Twitter or another Reddit. Maybe a lot of people are posting. They're getting their year summary. I think through Spotify, telling you like the podcast you listen to most or your top five in this. Oh, and that. yeah, yeah, yeah. So people are posting them. <gasps> are and we they- in the top five? We just made it. Uh, oh, we got into no, slid into number five. Yeah, so we just thought he would show. I, I totally appreciate this, Kenneth. I think it makes us feel kind of awesome. Like, <laughs> hey, we're in the top something. I'll take it. I'll we're take in the it. Top something. Um, yeah, and that was awesome. And I just made me remember because you told me about his paintings before, and I looked at them. And yeah. I think his paintings are really great, and he does some like kind of like horror inspired ones too. Oh? He's totally into like uh, one of the podcasts that beat us. It was actually one on. Uh, it's called Halloweenies. Halloweenies? Like a, Wait, what's Halloween? It's a review of like uh, horror movies, like oh, slasher flicks okay. from the gotcha. 80s and stuff like that. I was going to say, like, do they have one episode a year? Like, how does that work? One, one a month. One a month. I, ah. ch- I checked it out. I was like, oh, I'm like, into this. this is kind of cool. I'll have to give that a whirl. So uh, shout out to Halloweenies then, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So I just love that that's sort of like the motif he's into. Uh, and I really want to buy uh, one of your paintings, Kenneth. So expect an email from me very soon. Oh, hey. I got one more uh, little message in here, Mike. Oh, sure. Uh, ooh, oh, this is a classic. And the OG Dune fan. And the OG Dune fan. I haven't heard from you so long. Uh, she sent us one in talking about the, uh, the Fremen undies. <laughs> we had some questions about these. Uh, and so I'm, I'll read you right from this, from, from the, <laughs> let her words speak for herself. I'm pretty sure that Frank Herbert, like most science fiction authors of his era, uh, was a spaceflight fanatic who would have based at least some of the technology of the still suit on what NASA was doing with spacesuits. NASA used catheters in spacesuits for a very short period, but they proved to be impractical because they are rather hard on the bodily tissues involved. Agreed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Oh, in and out all the time. No, uh. So they later started using more non invasive methods. Uh, and she provided us a little link to the subject uh, that's pretty lengthy. But if you get down through the most of it, you get to the uh, the UCD of the dawn of the space age. And you'll see that by the, by the time Frank was writing Dune, there existed an externally attached urine collection device to be used in spacesuits. So, the most generous, I think, interpretation I can kind of give here is maybe, like, what I'm picturing as a loincloth is sort of like how I was picturing a hunter seeker. And, like, I'm just picturing the technology completely It's called wrong. a urine distract, uh, extraction device? Externally attached urine collection device. So, urine collection device is a UCD. This makes me think of, like, a vacuum that you just, like, hook up. Yeah, yeah, no. So, 
if I can get to what I was just saying, with, oh. the, with the loincloth, that's what it's kind of built up to. So, like, I was imagining very much like a Native American, like, a little cloth, a little belt, cinch oh. it, boom, you know, kind of folds over your balls, that's it. <laughs> I think it might be something more like underwear that's, like, sealed. Oh, you put it on it, yes. Yeah, maybe put in it the on shape it. of, like, oh, a loincloth, but, like, tight, and then maybe right. you just... Hook the catheter like a hose oh, up to it, essentially. Oh, no, no, oh. but like not up your, you know. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I gotcha, I gotcha. <laughs> but like literally, like there's a nozzle on the loincloth. Okay, so it's that sort makes of sense. like you're just pissing into this bag that's just on you, and then it's sort of filtering out. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And then it's sort and, of like, but you're probably still wearing like something underneath that you can sort of like, like put like, under. Yeah. yeah, like you basically have a piece of diapers on that has like a little nozzle attached to it. That okay. then hooks okay. into your suit. So then you're just going into this diaper, this diaper is siphoning it out, and it's just like that's one collective unit. But the only problem I still have is then why was Paul wearing trunks? <laughs> like, <laughs> were they specially fitted trunks for his still suit? Paul doesn't sleep and he doesn't pee. And he doesn't pee. <laughs> well, Mike, that still leaves some shit that we gotta deal with. So. <laughs> oh god. I don't know, but I think she probably is dead on him. Like, yeah, that must that be makes a lot more like sense. a sort of area device you strap on. And then that could be how you easily take it on and off. And it's less like awful for everything. Um, but that's all I got for a little distrends. Ah. Uh, let's think about a little Giovanni. Oh, yeah. Fly, my friend. Later. Oh, good to see him. Yeah. I like the aviation goggles on him. Yeah. It's a nice touch. Do you see the little scarf? It's yeah. getting cold out, so <laughs> I, I'm going to get him uh, some earmuffs for... <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 He needs that to see. <gasps> oh, shit. <laughs> no, right. Don't do that. It's going to hit more things as he comes in. <laughs> well, uh, I think all in all, Mike, that does it for the week. Oh, man. Well, does anyone have a question for us? Uh, do you guys perhaps know a wine that we could afford? Let us know. We're at Spice Roll Pod on Instagram and Twitter. You can always send us a distrans at spiceworldpod at gmail.com. And of course, there's always our website at spiceworldpod.com. And if you're looking for a way to support the show, come join us at our little CH over at patreon.com slash spiceworldpod. That's where you can find our exclusive Between Two Dunes episodes like Ampliros, Guild Highliners, and Gamont. A trip to Gamont. Ooh, that was a really fun that one. That was a fun one. There's some old lady voices strewn everywhere. Some really poor singing. Oh, I forgot about the singing. Oh, no, so, trust me. I had to listen to that over and over again while editing. Like, oh, God, why? And the Ruckus Royal Navy. <laughs> oh, I did a great job. Buddy. Yeah, you, you did got, a great you job. You gotta admit. You, you gotta did a good job. But, Derek. Yeah? I want to know about a little snippet. Ooh, what so, do I get to? Mike, I took a snippet. And I got to tell you, I gave a lot of thought about this. I'm like, do I need to give you a preface? Or a preface? A preface. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Read that super <laughs> phonetically. <laughs> De oro. <laughs> a little preface. Nah, you'll, you'll be fine. You'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. You ready? Yeah. <laughs> um, what is it? Jessica asked herself. Liquor? A drug? She bent over the spout. Smelled the ethers of cinnamon. Remembering then the drunkenness of Duncan, Idaho. Spice liquor? She asked herself. She took the siphon tube in her mouth, pulled up only the most minuscule sip. It tasted of spice, a faint blue acrid on her tongue. Cheney pressed down on the skin bag. A great gulp of stuff surged into Jessica's mouth, and before she could help herself, she swallowed it, fighting to retain her calmness and dignity. To accept a little death is worse than death itself, Cheney said. She stared at Jessica, waiting. Excuse me? That's all I got. Is this the water of life? 
I don't know what the fuck that was, but uh, <laughs> it's something. You Did she say it tasted blue on her tongue? Uh, faint. Oh shit! Uh, I definitely did. What uh, is it supposed to be? A faint bite acrid on the tongue. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure you said a faint blue acrid. I'm like, totally... how does it taste blue? <laughs> this tastes blue. This t- hey, <laughs> blue is a taste. <laughs> you know what blue tastes like. <laughs> don't tell me you have no idea what blue tastes like. You grew up in the same neon flavored world I did, Mike. <laughs> I know what green tastes like. I know what blue tastes like. Purple. And I, oh, you gotta know what purple you give me some like. purple stuff, Mike. Um, oh. oh my god! <laughs> I think that's gonna do it for us this week. I think so. Um, yeah, it's time to go, Mike. <laughs> we'll see you guys later, and until then, the spice must flow. Did you know that Streeter officiated AJ's wedding? No, I didn't. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, if we want to sign up, we can become Reverend Doctors. Yeah. Oh. That's a cool title, right? Yeah. It's a cult, but uh, you just got to <laughs> sign a paper and send them 20 bucks. Yeah, we could be Reverend Doctors. <laughs> Let's be Reverend Doctors. They did it on uh, You get like a special title? And... I think you get a certificate. Uh, <laughs> you can hang that on the wall. Hey, you can call yourself a Reverend Doctor. It's a pretty sweet <laughs> title. Reverend Doctor. Hell yeah. All right. That's what's happening. All right.